With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. For logbook servicing you can rely on, you need to make the right choice. You need trained professionals who are fully qualified to service your car according to manufacturer's specifications. For real peace of mind and a nationwide warranty, book in or book online at RepcoService.com. We can find instant satisfaction in almost anything these days. Sleepy? Instant coffee. Need to sell your car fast? Car sales? Instant offer. That's right. Sell your car the instant way. And get it done with Australia's most trusted site for cars. Thing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Morning, everybody. It's 9.03 here on SENZ in the mornings uh, through to 12 o'clock. Uh, we've got pretty much a cricket-dominated show. I don't uh, apologise for that because it's pretty good at the moment, particularly uh, with the women. Uh, as part of our celebration with Dilmar, uh, providing tea to New Zealand over the years, we're doing a, a little segment uh, throughout this month focusing on uh, cricketers, uh, either New Zealand or Sri Lankan cricketers. We hope to get hold of a couple of those. Uh, about flashbacks and, and their, their time playing against Sri Lanka. And this morning, I'm pleased to say we've got uh, the really, really fine player and Andrew Jones, who, uh, of course, with Martin Crowe, put on that uh, magnificent world record partnership back in uh, 1991. We're going to talk to Andrew Jones about that and uh, his cricket uh, playing against uh, Sri Lanka. He debuted there, actually. He made his test debut in Colombo. Uh, and after 9.30, Mike Sandal. Now, Mike Sandal uh, has had an interesting background, but in the last uh, decade, at least, uh, he has been the Black Caps manager. Uh, he's getting out of the job. He's calling it quits and moving to be the CEO of Taranaki Rugby. So Mike Sandal just after 9.30. Yeah, it's World Plumbing Day, so we have got an interview with a bloke by the name of Leighton Johnson. He's a plumber. So we'll leave it at that. He's a plumber. Uh, we'll talk to him. Uh, just after 10 o'clock, David Choate, of course, former All-White, but heavily involved in uh, football administration, etc. as well. Uh, what about, uh, I think he's a Chelsea fan, so I'm going to ask him Roman Abramovich. Uh, the all-white qualifiers. Uh, we've got a panel consisting of Mark Hinton and Sam Hewitt, who will be in the studio. Mark, Hewitt, uh, Mark Hinton on the phone. Uh, and then after 11 o'clock, uh, the man uh, charged with the responsibility of keeping the White Ferns in the World Cup is the head coach, Bob Carter. And they made a big step towards that yesterday, didn't they, in Hamilton. Greyhound Racing uh, is to the fore on the show as well. Kevin Brady, a real personality around the game. We'll talk to him around about 11.20. You might remember Kevin Brady. He was the Auditor General uh, a few years back. And then Mick Guerin. Mick Guerin will be with us uh, as part of our look at harness racing. So I've been away, but man, we're busy coming back. Let's start with a sermon first of all. We don't have the music for it. Something's gone wrong there. Uh, my sermon is about Shane Warne. I, I, know, I knew Shane Warne. I really did. I knew him well. I never played with him or against him but was lucky enough to describe his amazing skills on a regular basis and analyse what he contributed to the game of cricket. He was a spin-bowling genius, an underrated strategist and leader, a batsman who underachieved by his own admission. Uh, aside from his deeds, it was his unique presence, which I'll never forget. Wire him up with a mic, give him a dedicated camera focus on him, 
full-time and even the most tedious of test match days would be of interest. He made his own fun, created his own atmosphere, his own aura. Give it some consideration. During his time playing worldwide, there was no bigger name in the game, no bigger contributor. Believe me, these are not knee-jerk reactions to his premature passing. These are long-held sentiments. Let the kids, small and big, be the ultimate judge. How many wanted to be Warney? How many wanted to be someone else? Warn wins, hands down. How many leg spinners are there in the game now compared to the pre-Warn era? Shane Warne was a brilliant commentator. He had all the necessary. Most of all, he brought his entertaining skills from the field to the microphone. Never a dull half hour with him, scarcely a stint without a theory or a strategy. Off mic and out the back, Warney's company was infectious. Stories abounded, secrets revealed. Millions would have paid millions to be around him during that supposed downtown downtime out the back of the commentary box. It was just simply compelling. And whose baggy green fetched a million bucks when auctioned for bushfire relief? Bradman's around about 350k. But it's as a friend I will choose to remember him best, an engaging and generous guy. He welcomed my family into his house, and indeed his last text to me ended with well-wishing to my boys. They knew him only briefly. They'll never forget him. Who the hell will? It was always amazing me to find someone with such a busy life, how he had so much time for so many people on a personal note. I will always treasure the time I spent, the privileges he shared with me, the regular texts and the jibing. His number will stay on my phone as well as text, always cherish. Warney was larger than life until just the other day. His life was pretty much an open book, and that's something he lived for his whole 52 years. Few crammed so much into such a short space. So goodbye, Warney. Your beloved Victoria will give you the send-off you richly deserve. It will be a show. It simply can't be anything else. For me, you were the ultimate show. The box office, a sellout. R.I.P., buddy. R.I.P. So that's my tribute to uh, Shane Warne. We've got no music, so it sounds pretty average, doesn't it? Uh, but I understand uh, Jones is on the phone, my great friend uh, Andrew Jones. And uh, as our tribute to uh, Dilma, uh, I've got to say we're going to interview uh, a number of personalities involved in the Sri Lanka and New Zealand series over the years. Uh, and uh, Andrew Jones is on the line. Jonesy, good morning to you. Yeah, g'day, Smitty. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, nice, nice to catch up with you, mate. Been a tough old week with cricket yeah. losing Rod Marsh and, and uh, Shane Warne, eh? Uh, look, yeah, look, two legends, eh? Um, um, yeah, Shane Warne, 52, three kids. I don't know what you can say. And obviously, yeah, I can't add anything to it apart from, um, yeah, just really sad on behalf of New Zealand players that played against him, um, you know, that he's passed. Um, a really nice guy. Um, obviously, did a heck of a lot outside of um, outside of uh, you know not on the field, Smitty. But uh, you know, uh, incredible bowler had incredible drift uh, for the next you know serious yeah. face. You know, they'd start they'd start on off, and um, you know, in the early days when his shoulder was you know really upright and that, yeah, the, the, late, the late drift was really difficult. Um, yeah, what a yeah. what a player. Yeah, sad. Yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, it's um, very, very sad. It's, it's very sad, mate. You're dead right. 
Hey, uh, got you on the uh, show, Jonesy, because we're we're reliving some great moments about uh, Sri Lanka, of course. Now, uh, you you debuted, didn't you, in, in Colombo? That was your test debut. Uh, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was about forty degrees. I never liked. Uh, I was a big sweater, Smitty. I never really enjoyed it too much over there, but because uh, it's not the place to be a big sweater, uh, you know. Um, but yeah, I did. I did debut over there um, before we got uh, bombed out. I think um, was that right? I think I, I think we had to scurry off. Um, yeah, we we did. So, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I, yeah, we did. We scurried off, um, and then we came back a few years later and scurried off again. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I did debut then. Um, I think I got sort of 30-odd, um, and that was the start. Yeah. It was the, it was the start, Jonesy, but I, I, I've got to, I mean, you played 39 tests, 87 one-day internationals, but to, the one that lives in everyone's mind, in fact, the series that lived in everyone's mind, was back against Sri Lanka in 1991 here at home. Um, and, of course, um, in the first test match, uh, New Zealand, we were in big trouble till. Uh, you and Martin Crow got together. We were in danger of losing to Sri Lanka, I think it's fair to say. We were under the pump. Uh, and then you guys batted uh, in that amazing partnership. 467 runs over 10 hours, mate. First of all, can I, can I, I don't know how well you remember it, actually, but what were you thinking when Martin no. Crow joined you at the wicket? That... <laughs> yeah, look, uh, look I, I think um, uh, back then, yeah, we were sort of expected to beat Sri Lanka, weren't we? And, um, and yeah, we had a very poor first inning, so we were 300, not, but 300 behind or something, and um, at least, and with about three days to go, it was, in those days, the basin was uh, reasonably slow and very low. Um, so, you know, it was just bat, bat and bat as long as you could, and once you got in, it was, it was flat, I've got to say. It was a very flat deck. And... Uh, we just battered and battered. We sort of had 300, 300 plus to knock off before we were back in it. So, um, yeah, it was one of those sort of situations. Um, yeah, I didn't mind it once it, <laughs> once you got into it. it was, <laughs> we just battered and battered and battered. And, uh, yeah, me and Chloe came in. I think it might have been tea or something like that. And then all the, all the guys said, hey, I'd be only one or two away from the world record, which made us extremely nervous. <laughs> we had no idea. So, um, yeah, that's how that one panned out. Um, yeah. Uh, so, uh, Jonesy, that. Hey, I just Jonesy wanted, was quite inc- Hey, I just wanted to. Yeah. yeah. But I, just, I just wanted to add uh, um, uh, your viewers might be interested in this, but the great Rod Mars, who was a legend to me in that era, Smitty, as you know, sort of five or ten years later. Do you remember that when he came into our changing rooms in um, in Adelaide? Do you remember yes, that? Yeah, I do. Yeah, you tell the story though. You yeah, go. I just wanted. To, I I just think um, uh, you know, it just shows uh, people sort of need to understand how sort of some of those great Australian players, how you know they they really looked after Kiwis because we started off in the first test and um, we got sort of beaten up in Brisbane and we came to Adelaide, which was flat and. We had a great start. I got the first 100 on the first day, and Chloe was on about 80-odd. But apparently, uh, Rod Marsh was working for World, Wide World of Sports then, had given me a real sort of bit of a bashing about my performance in the first test, da-da-da. And um, at the end of the first day, he knocked on our changing room and came in uh, while we were all having a few beers and a few B&Hs and all just quite enjoying that the, the tour was back on track and, and such. And he came, 
came right in one of the room and said, there's Andrew Jones here. And I sort of looked up as my sort of idol, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, he said, look, I'd just like to apologise for what I said about your batting in Brisbane. Um, I was completely wrong. Well batted today, mate. There's a great knock. Da, 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 da. And um, I thought, shit, that, that was just an incredible thing to do, mate. I, I sort of remember that to this day now because um, I sort of remember going back at the end of the day back to the hotel room because it was about 42 degrees and thinking, shit, maybe I do belong here, you know. Maybe mm. I, you know, can play test cricket. So I just thought viewers might be interested. That's the sort of guy Rod Marsh was. Incredible. I was just, I was so stoked to get that. I didn't even know he'd sort of bagged me, but um, yeah. There you go. Yeah, well, it is a great story, and you're dead right, because uh, he was one of the guys that, uh, a little bit earlier, and that made me feel at home in Test Cricket, because he was prepared to sit down and have a beer and treat me as an equal, so um, I, I've, yeah. I got so much out of mm. um, that time with him. Jones, you're back in that series, just getting back to that series in 91, mate, you, you scored uh, back-to-back-to-back hundreds, you scored a, a magnificent 186 in Wellington during that partnership. Uh, then you've du- oh, yeah. you doubled up in, in Hamilton as well. And then 73 at Eden Park. That was vintage. What a great series against Sri Lanka that was. Yeah. Well, look, um, I got used to the bowlers at the station. <laughs> you know, I, there, wasn't much they could, there wasn't much they could throw down, down to me that I hadn't seen. So um, I took advantage of that uh, for the rest of the series. Uh, I'm just trying to think. Hamilton was, I th- yeah, Hamilton was um, a little bit of a green seamer, but had more pace in it, which suited me. Um, mm. You know, I had a, um, I was going pretty well in that series, to be fair. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, uh, I, yeah. They had, just uh, trying to think they had, they had a bowling. Who did they have? They, they had Rumish Ratnaika and Graham LeBroy that you would have uh, taken on early on. Yeah, yeah, Rumish. Well, you just had to watch Rumish's bumper it was quite it could be quite slippery um because he's sort of quite slingy um and glamming the boy yeah anyway no it was a great series for me mate um yeah pretty yeah pretty was pretty happy with that but um seems a long long time ago Ian. <laughs> it does uh andrew which leads me to my next <laughs> question um um, yeah. Apart from uh, uh, every now and then having a glance at the, the telly or whatever, have you, have you, do you show any interest? Have you got any interest in cricket now or as a past player? Um, look, I, I, I love the test series. You know, a good sort of test series where you feel like it's, um, you know, where you feel like the build-ups, you know, right. Like, it, you know, obviously, I watch the, the guys playing at World Cup test, uh, in England and... Um, some of the more high-profile test series I really enjoy. I love seeing the ashes and stuff like that. But if I don't watch a lot more now. Um, I tend to uh, tend to sort of rather go and you know hit a, hit a few golf balls actually, Smitty. To be honest, I do. But um, I do keep an interest in it, and I, obviously it's easy to do that. Easy to do that through the internet now. So um, yeah, yeah. Um, what, they've got been so going very it? well. Yeah. So, Jonesy, yeah. what what um what are you up to then? Um, oh, look, I, we, we've got a, uh, my wife and I've got a film uh, a small film company, and we've been um, uh, doing that now for oh, geez, many quite a while actually. Probably it started in about two thousand six, 
yeah, um, yeah. And so we we um, make uh, TV when we can. So it keeps us busy at times and not and not at others. So yeah, that's what we um, that's what we've been doing. That's what I'm doing. I'm actually in the office now, sort of packing up some um, kit to go out on a shoot. Yeah. Right. Hey, Jonesy, uh, just yeah. uh, did you, I mean, you, you didn't realise you were on the verge going back to that test match in 81 against Sri Lanka, uh, but you, you beat the record of Ponsford and Bradman and me and Dad and Madassa Nazania. A lot of people won't know this, but I can let them into a secret. Um, you actually yeah. preferred being out in the middle than in the dressing room. A lot of good batsmen do. That's point one. The other thing, Jonesy, is... Uh, you were pretty hard at, at no. Let's be fair about this. At times, you were pretty hard to communicate out without in the middle. You weren't the most giving sort of uh, partnership sort of a guy. So how the hell? I've got to ask this question. What the hell did you and Crow talk about for ten hours? We didn't really. We didn't. <laughs> we didn't a lot. A lot. You're right. Actually, I, I did prefer to just sort of go into the shelf, Smitty, which was. Not exactly, I guess, ideal for the partner at the other end if they were needing some feedback. I'm not sure I would have been into that little pu- that punch of gloves that they used to do now. I actually, that would have suited me because you wouldn't have to, to speak, would you? You'd just go punch it back to the other end. Um, you know, not a, not, I wasn't, wasn't um, a huge talker, you know, when I was out there. I, I just personally, me, I just didn't see the need. Um, but. Um, you know, uh, seems a long time ago, actually, playing uh, cricket. But um, yeah, still, uh, still following it. And um, yeah, Jonesy, bloody good to catch up with you, mate. Um, we we go yeah, back a long no, way. If you might know, we go back to Brabant tournaments back in nineteen seventy-seven. I, I know, think you and I go. Yeah, I know. We used to uh, on your Hawks Bay boys, and you would be smacking <laughs> it round, and we'd be trying to get. I know. I know, and we do go a long way. So, what do you look like now? Um, uh, probably a little <laughs> bit bigger than the last time you saw me. Uh, that's forty-five. Oh, forty-five well, years I've known. I don't think we've. Seen, I don't think we've. Seen, I don't think I've seen you for. Um, no, I haven't ten years or something. Eh? It's a long time. Well, I think. Didn't we have a. We had a. We had a reunion, didn't we? At the uh, for the, the World Cup, uh, the ninety-two World Cup, and we in Wellington. That, that was, was the last fantastic. time I caught up with you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah well, that would have been a while ago too, wouldn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah, we we yeah. better have we better have another one shortly because the the days are running out, mate. Jonesy, fantastic to catch up with you. Find out what you're doing at the moment, um, and uh, yeah, reliving that great day, particularly in Wellington, um, or the great two days actually against Sri Lanka way back. Thanks, thanks very much for uh, answering the phone, mate. Yeah. And uh, we must catch up and have a quiet one. Yeah, good on you. Good on. Take it easy, stop me. See you, mate. Yeah, cheers. Yeah, Andrew Jones there, folks. What a great character there. Uh, terrific player. I mean, you look at his record, a terrific player uh, who started really late in the game uh, at the age of 28, came into the New Zealand side and uh, was always a fixture from that point onwards till he decided he'd had enough. Uh, he did it his own way, Jonesy. Absolutely his own way. Uh, no one else could replicate it. 9.21 here on SENZ. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, uh, in the West Indies at the moment, they are 3.52 for eight, um, playing against England, of course, in the first Test match. They're building up a handy lead, actually. Uh, Bonner is still there on 113, and Permall is 15. They lead by 41 at the moment, and that might just be a little bit worrying for Joe Root and the boys. 
All uh, right, uh, we've got some uh, texts coming in as well. Thanks very much for those. Uh, Andrew Jones was my favourite cricketer back in the day. Uh, he's one of mine as well, actually, so thanks very much for that text because, uh, as I said, he did it his way. Uh, and uh, no one can replicate Andrew Jones' style, and no one should have because uh, he made it absolutely for him. Um, I remember the story he was talking about, actually, is when um, it didn't go so well for him in the first test that the Gabbert quite often doesn't uh, when you're trying to get acclimatised in Australia. That's why they put you up there. It's, it's quick and it's bouncy. Uh, and uh, we took a bit of a while as a, as a team to adjust to that as well. But when he came to the Adelaide Oval, he scored a brilliant 150 and rammed it, fair rammed it up, those people that uh, had been criticising him, particularly the Australian journalists who didn't uh, think his technique was suited to playing in Australia or perhaps anywhere, but it was. Yeah, 150 at the Adelaide Oval, and that was the end of that. And as uh, he rightly pointed out, uh, people including Ross Rod Marsh had to do an about turn on uh, Andrew Jones and the way he could play. Um, another text has come and I said, bloody awkward interview with some of the ha-ha. Well, you wouldn't want it any other way with Jonesy. If you know Jonesy, um, you would know that um, Jonesy is, that what you heard is what Jonesy is. Uh, he's not your typical guy. He's... Um, uh, he, he liked, uh, in the dressing room, uh, he liked to have a, a quiet, he'd sit in the corner with a, a quiet beer, and uh, back in those days you could have a bit of a gasper in the in the dressing room and no one would complain about it. Uh, he kept himself to himself a lot, had uh, you know, great mates with John Wright, they, they um, were birds of a feather really. Uh, so that, you know, there was, he was an interesting teammate, so one of those guys, you just let, it do, let, it, uh, let him do it the way he wanted to do it, and you were the beneficiary of it. Um, Carl's coming and said hi Smithy great words about Warney uh, I saw the gift NASA is saying gave you for your birthday it was bloody funny yeah um, it was actually it's a picture of uh, 2019 at Lords where NASA is saying and Ian Bishop and I were work- working together on that World Cup final and it went to a, a super over and the expression at the time was we're going to a super over and there was a photo of that exact moment so yeah lovely photo uh, absolutely lovely a gift from uh, the ICC actually um, as part of um, uh, this World Cup, which has been fantastic, I've got to say, and I'll talk about it a bit this morning. Uh, we will be talking more about it with Bob Carter after 11 o'clock, of course, head coach of the White Ferns, who had a, a really good win yesterday over India, a side that could have beaten them. Uh, their batting strength was nullified by a very good bowling and fielding performance, uh, and that, I think, was the key to that one. Coming up to 9.30 here on SENZ, Mike Sandal, Black Caps manager after the break. Whips that one away and how appropriate that Ross Taylor and Kane Williamson are there for this moment, for this team. It's a story that's akin to David versus Goliath, but Kane Williamson and his team are now world test champions and living proof that sometimes, just sometimes, nice guys do finish first. Nice guys do finish first and the New Zealand cricket team finished first on that occasion, of course, winning the world test championship. At uh, Southampton, uh, and overlooking that was uh, a, a gentleman, and I call him a gentleman too because he is, uh, who has been with the Black Caps for a long period of time. One of the secrets about sporting teams uh, playing well over a long period of time, getting on with each other, uh, and you know, travelling the world without any sort of friction, etc., uh, is because they've got a happy camp. It's as simple as that, and the bloke responsible for doing that is usually uh, the manager. And that's why I've uh, got uh, this opportunity, and I'm glad to have it, to talk to Mike Sandal, who's been 
uh, the Black Caps manager for a long, long period of time now and overseen one of the great periods of New Zealand cricket and is in no way short of being responsible for some of it as well. Mike, good morning to you. Morning, Smithy. Nice to catch up with you. Uh, you've made this decision to uh, step away after a long period of time, Mike. Uh, how long How long have you actually been in the job? Take us back to when it started. Yeah, it's into the 11th year, Smithy. So, um, yeah, I started in 2011. I uh, fought basically up to the end of the Super Rugby season with the Blues. And, yeah, went to Zimbabwe on the first tour with um, John Wright. Yeah, so that was a, a real experience. And a, it's a tour I still look back on with really fond memories. So... It's a long way when you uh, when you think back there. Who was uh, who was uh, so Roddy was coach. Who was captain back in those days? Yeah, Roscoe. Roscoe was captain then, so that was um, the first tour. So yeah, John Wright coach and Ross Taylor was the captain. And uh, yeah, then we came Mike. home soon after that, and we had the Australian trip. Um, somebody where I think it was one of the first times I bumped into you in your capacity of uh, commentating. Yeah, it was, uh, that's right, Mike. Uh, I mean, I remember that uh, time well, meeting you for the first time. L- listen, coming into the job out of uh, being in, uh, you know, a policeman, and then, of course, you were in charge of the Blues as well in, in that capacity. Uh, were you a big cricket lover at the time? I was, yeah. Like, I was never a great player, <laughs> but um, I certainly was a guy who could sit there and, and watch cricket. Um, and yeah, like uh, spent a lot of time at obviously Pookie Park and um, and watching players such as yourself on TV. One of the young fellow back in the day, um, and yeah, could always sort of uh, could get addicted to to watching game of cricket. You know, just thinking um, I should be out doing the lawns, but I might just watch one more over, and then you get a wicket, and then <clears throat> there's bowling change, you end up watching another one. So um, yeah, I, I can watch cricket, and I enjoy watching cricket. Okay, so what's the difference for you between, or what has been, uh, looking after the Blues and looking after the Black Caps? Uh, is it, you know, the team dynamics different, etc., more th- different things you have to do? Yeah, I found the cricket environment, um, just through the nature of it, is a lot more relaxed, I suppose. Like, you know, with rugby that, you know, you start rain, hail or shine, 7.30 on a Saturday night, whereas, you know, you turn up for cricket um, and, you know, you've got the toss, you know, if you're going to be batting or bowling, there could be a bit of weather around and a bit of tie kicking and, and things like that. And because it also goes a hell of a lot longer than a game of rugby, um, you know, you can't have that intensity for long periods of time. So that's one thing that struck me early on was just how relaxed uh, the cricket environment was and, and cricketers in general. Having said that, Mike, you've got to keep it relaxed too. And, you know, when you, uh, when you do rugby, uh, the guys are in the dressing room for what? You know, an hour before the game max, maybe an hour afterwards and five minutes at half time. But, uh, you know, you, you look at a cricket dressing room over a, a five-day period of time, uh, there can be uh, friction, there can be issues, a short space of time. So how do, you, how do you sort of manage that kind of environment? Yeah, I think it's important to remember that. In a cricket team, as far as the manager goes, like the changing room is the players' domain, and it's a place where they prepare. And you know, with cricket, you never know when you're going to enter the game, so you need to respect that. And, and what I mean by that is, you know, obviously the opening batsmen go out and, and play, but you know, if you're first drop, you could be in second ball of the match, or you, or you might be in sort of after lunch. So, um, with that, as, as you pointed out, it is nice and relaxed, and things are pretty fluid in there. And it's also a place where, you know, you do get emotions and there's disappointment and, you know, where players uh, should be their sanctuary where they can um, come in and sometimes a little bit of steam off, but also 
it's also a place when you have, uh, you know, rain delays and you would have been involved with a lot of Smithy and, you know, you've, uh, the cards come out. Um, the guys can't have their phones, so you get some really good conversation, uh, a lot of those old things, um, and just, just general chat. And those are the things I'll remember and treasure as well because, uh, it's just, uh, you know, you, you have a lot of fun and uh, a lot of laughs in situations like that. The other thing, of course, that you've uh, presided over too is um, we'll, we'll get on to the World Test Championship very shortly, but uh, two losses in World Cup one-day finals. Uh, the second one, uh, first one, of course, in Melbourne. The second one, uh, of course, was uh, at Lords that day. Tell us about having to pick up the pieces after those losses because you've got to find some sort of way to, to get the group back up. Yeah, they were both quite different, really, like... Obviously, in 2015 and um, over in Melbourne, we were well beaten there. So, um, you know, that was, that was totally different. Whereas at Lords, um, we all know what happened there. And I suppose in the immediate aftermath of that game, probably much as like everybody that was there was, you know, just trying to comprehend what had happened. You know, there'd been um, a real even flow of emotions throughout the day. And, you know, at the end of it, it was like, you know, what the hell has happened? <laughs> and um, I suppose, you know, you, we all came up into the changing room. Um, you have to go down for the presentation downstairs, um, down on the field. And even you know, if there's no option, you've got to go down there, you've got to front up. And, and the boys were really good. And I know they were commended um, for the way they, they sort of fronted up down there. But at the end of the day, you've got no, you've got no um, choice. You have to. But I suppose in the back of your mind too, and back in my mind was um, also the realisation that you've probably witnessed one of the greatest games of one-day cricket ever. Um, and, you know, regardless of the, of the result and what happened at the end, it was a, it was a hell of a game. And I'm sure that, um, you know, Lords is going to be in the memory bank of a lot of those people um, for a long time. And I know that, um, you know, when I think about it, uh, I'm going to have... You know, mixed emotions and, and about Lords, you know, and about that game, and it's going to invoke certain memories um, and emotions, I suppose. But in saying that, Lords is, a, as you'd know, is a magical place, Smithy, and it's, um, you know, my favourite place to, to go in terms of, of cricket. It's just a, it's a wonderful place, and, and just love every time I was uh, had the opportunity to be there. Mike, you'll also remember um, the Rose Bowl at Southampton pretty fondly as well, I would imagine, because of course that's where. Uh, the team picked up uh, that World Test Championship title. Uh, your memories are of going through that with them because finally a, a dream was uh, realised. Yeah, and I think um, I think a lot of people put a little bit of uh, how do you put it, like a lot of ghosts to to rest, I suppose, from um, the two World Cups. The people that were were there right for the two ODI World Cup finals, and then obviously you know that one it probably um, you know released a knot in the gut a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that, that was just an amazing game. Obviously, it was six days, and um, there were certainly some ebbs and flows in that one as well. It was, you know, a lot of wet weather, and there was, you know, probably a day there where it looked like, you know, we weren't going to get through the test, um, even though it was six days. Um, but yeah, things happened pretty quickly when we when we got out there, and we all know what happened. And I suppose, um, yeah, when uh, Roscoe hit that uh, the winning runs, um, there was a flood of emotions went through through the room, um, through everybody. And I know for myself, it was probably one enduring memory I have is thinking of everybody that had been before that had been part of the team and they had contributed to that success in one one way, shape or form. And, um, you know, and that was a, a lot of former Black Caps as well and a lot of staff and people that had worked behind the scenes at New Zealand Cricket to contribute. 
Mike, you've had to manage the team through uh, COVID, travelling the world through COVID. Uh, you've had tours that have been uh, called off prematurely, etc. Uh, logistically, that can't have been easy. No, one thing you learn in the current environment is that you don't plan too far ahead. Uh, you have to be pretty flexible um, with your planning because, you know, the best laid plans can go out the window overnight. Um, so I think a, a real strength of the team, the Black Caps team, since I've been involved anyway, is their ability to adapt and keep pretty relaxed no matter what is thrown at them. And I actually think it's, um, it's in the DNA of New Zealanders anyway to react in that manner. And I think... Um, you know, the guys have been really well suited to, to adapt to that. But, yeah, like, um, some of the bubbles are pretty tight. It's pretty hard to explain. I suppose everybody's, you know, got to experience them. But, you know, I can certainly see, um, you know, some of the stuff that came around about England, you know, the amount of time. I think they played more cricket in the bubble than anybody else. Um, and so, you know, you can, you can certainly see how that does slowly wear you down. Uh, bubbles over there, especially in India and Bangladesh, were, were extremely tight. Um, you just absolutely can't see anybody else in, a, in the hotel. Um, you're just totally sealed off. So it's, uh, you know, you get pretty used to uh, spending all the time there with your mates, put it that way. Tell us a wee bit, uh, Mike, if you can. Can you open a little wee bit on what it's like to, um, to run a team alongside Kane Williamson? Because, you know, from the outside, Kane Williamson looks fairly relaxed, pretty much in control of everything, doesn't have appear to have too many emotions. But what can you tell us about... Uh, your relationship with Kane Williamson over the years and, and what kind of bloke he is as he runs the team? Yeah, Kane's a, he is a person who puts the team at uh, all, all situations ahead of himself. He's, you know, when you hear the term team first, um, Kane epitomises that and he certainly leads um, by example in that way. He actually has no ego, um, he plays with no ego. Uh, and that really resonates with the team. Like, um, he's, he's a, is a relaxed character, but in saying that, um, Kane, you know, works very hard at his game. Uh, obviously, he's friends with his, his obviously natural talent, but um, he puts a lot into it. But he also does put a lot of thought into, um, you yeah, know, the, uh, the general day-to-day running of the team and, um, you know, around preparation, and he's always he's good to bounce ideas off, um, comes with ideas and things like that, but nothing really phases him. Um, and I think, you know, he's a, he's a really good leader and that nice, relaxed attitude just gravitate, gravitates down uh, through the ranks. Mike, you're going to have a change of environment. Um, what will you miss about travelling the world with the Black Caps as opposed to perhaps sitting in office uh, with the Taranaki Rugby Union because you are now going to go in and be uh, the CEO of uh, the union that uh, you were brought up with. Uh, you love, I know you love them, you follow them whenever you're away anyway, but... Um, man, that's going to be a big change of lifestyle for you. It is some of the end, and I suppose um, it was a bloody tough decision to make. Um, to you know, I was, I was actually really enjoying the time with the Black Cats, but after 11 years, you know, um, I was probably for the last 12 months or so, I've been looking for things I could be doing at home. But what I'm going to miss most about um, the Black Cats is probably the relationships with the with the people, the players, and, and it was a pretty emotional week. Um, you know, ringing a lot of them up, talking to a lot of them, um, you know, flicking through messages uh, just to give them a bit of a heads up um, before I, before they are uh, aware of my decision. But, you know, um, when you do spend a lot of time away, you spend more time with the players and what you do with your own family. 
Um, so with that, you forge some pretty deep relationships with people. And uh, so what I'll take with me, I'll take with me some fantastic memories, which you've spoken about, but also um, just just some enduring friendships and relationships with people as well. That's uh, an experience that I'm going to bank for life. And uh, you're going to a, a Taranaki Rugby Union, which is uh, the interesting uh, side of this new competition this year. And, and Barnsley, at least when you start, Barnsley will be a happy man because it's in, in a way got his way. That's right, yeah. Well, it's Neil Barnes' competition, isn't it, now? So he, he made me a cup of tea a couple of days ago. Um, so that's, uh, that's a first, I think, for Barnsley. So he's pretty handy uh, in that regard as well. But I think, yeah, like, uh, Taranaki is, is a team that is dear to my heart. It's a region that's dear to my heart. Um, all those years ago when I first started managing, they gave me my very first opportunity uh, in, in rugby management. So it's really nice to go back there and um, just repay probably that loyalty that they showed me all those years ago. Um, I'm looking forward to it. You know, it's exciting. Uh, the stadium, you know, is looking like it's going to be coming on tap this year back at Yarrow Stadium, so we've got our home. Um, and saying that, you know, it's been a tough year, or tough few years here, sorry, um, just since we lost the stadium through the earthquake issues and you throw in COVID and, and everything else. And, uh, you know, the staff have, you know, done a really good job in, in tough circumstances. and. We've had a community that's stuck by us and obviously some pretty loyal sponsors and stakeholders as well that have um, stuck by the team and the union. Mike, it's been great catching up with you. Uh, wish you well in your new vocation and uh, salute you for what you've done over the last 11 years. It's been fantastic to deal with you. I think you've done a great job. Thanks for your time this morning. Thank you, Smithy, and well done on your tribute to Warney as well earlier. Thank you. Cheers. Uh, Mike Sandal there. Um, uh, retiring, I'll say retiring. Uh, Black Caps manager, but not retiring from sport administration. Off to Taranaki. It's 9.47 here on SENZ. Voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It is uh, 9.52 here on SENZ, and March the 11th is a date that has been fixed on the calendars of the world plumbing community since its establishment uh, by WPC back in 2010. It's now a fixture on the calendars of political and social institutions around the globe, the international plumbing community, as represented by the council, has a vital role in promoting the link between good quality plumbing, health, environment, sustainability, and increasingly economic prosperity. There are now hundreds of annual World Plumbing Day events promoting the link between good plumbing, sanitation, and human and environmental health. And joining us here on SENZ this morning is Leighton, Johnston from Reese. Good morning to you, Leighton. For those who don't know, who is Reese and what role do they play in the plumbing community, mate? Morning, Smitty. Hope you're well, bud. Reese, yeah. well, we're a, we're a plumbing and a bathroom merchant. We've uh, we supply plumbing materials from not only behind the walls, but we also sell things from in front of the walls. We supply plumbers, drain lads, and all other sorts of tradesmen. We supply retail people who walk in off the street. Our plumbing and our bathroom products are sourced both locally and internationally, which you can find in one of our 27 branches throughout New Zealand, mate. What, what is World Plumbing Day, mate, exactly? And why is it important for us to recognise it? Well, it's an international event that's been celebrated uh, each year on the 11th of March. It recognises plumbing improvements in our daily lives. We reckon it's a day to make our plumbers feel like heroes. 
the day is about celebrating what it means to be a plumber and it gives something back to everyone involved in what we deem an essential trade, mate. Well, uh, Leighton, it's uh, absolutely fantastic uh, that... Um CNZ. Coming up to the news uh, and a chance just to catch up uh, with Leighton Johnson again from Reese. Uh, tell us a, a wee bit about uh, Reese and as, why is it celebrating World Plumbing Day, Leighton? Yeah, well, Smithy, we, Reece, the business has been built on the back of supporting the plumbers day in and day out for many years. And we obviously see World Plumbing Day as a great way to champion the plumber and recognise the essential work that they do out there. Um, our plumbers make a, such an impact on our daily lives. Um, all the work that the plumbers do helps create us better, safer, healthier um, for the whole world, which we at Reese think is definitely worth celebrating, mate. We do too, uh, mate, and thanks very much for your time this morning. Uh, and celebrate well. I hope you're able to have a couple of bevies with some of your buddies as well uh, to celebrate World Plumbing Day. 9.59 coming up the news here on SENZ. The all-new SENZ is Kiwi for sport. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. four here on SENZ uh, and it's time to talk some football actually and what an interesting world it is at the moment it's been turned on its head uh, by Russia's invasion of the Ukraine of course because there's a lot of Russian power in world football and uh, to take us through uh, one side of it anyway is uh, former All White uh, David Choate, David played uh, for the All Whites back in uh, the mid 80s uh, but he's uh, a Chelsea man uh, keeping a, a very close eye on uh, how this affects I would imagine uh, the Chelsea club in particular. David, good morning to you. Yeah, nice to chat to you, Smithy. I'm old enough to remember you running around Cedar Park. It's not us, but it was light blue, I suppose. <laughs> and I can remember you too running around. Don't you worry about that, my friend. Uh, <laughs> yeah, our uh, running will find us. Definitely have, uh, and happy about that. Hey, hey look, uh, let's look at this, this uh, setup now, which is uh, all of us. Look, we're talking about a bloke who took over, what, in 2003? Uh, probably one of the most expensive takeovers at the time uh, of any English club. Uh, and he's seen a, overseen a pretty successful era, uh, to be fair, of Chelsea football, hasn't he, Abramovich? 100%. The Roman Empire for Chelsea has been uh, revelationary. They have become a powerhouse of world football. Um, they're one of the biggest clubs on the planet. Um, they've had all sorts of success under Abramovich. But it's come to a screaming halt. Uh, what's, what's going on in uh, the Ukraine, and, and rightly so. Um, it's a massive issue for, for not only Chelsea, but for the world at the moment. But uh, Roman Abramovich's money will no longer be able to fund a football club that um, he has funded, as you say, since 2003. So what happens? Logistically, for those of us who, who don't know the running of a football club, etc., how does it exist all of a sudden? Yeah, well, it's going to be a real challenge. Chelsea runs at a loss. Uh, they uh, they rely on the Abramovich money to even keep it afloat. So, in the short term, they keep playing, so they can keep playing. They uh, they can't sell tickets to their matches other than to season ticket holders who already had paid for their tickets. So there'll be no um, new tickets sold. So they can't get any revenue into the club that way. Um, they can keep paying the wages in the short term, so that'll be covered. So the players will continue to get paid and paid. They cannot trade players. So they cannot sort of uh, function in terms of the transfer market. They've got a number of players 
who are coming to the end of their contract and they will not be able to re-sign them under the current current uh, regime. They really need to have this club sold and sold away from Russian uh, from Russian ownership. Um, it can be sold. The government will ensure that there is no money that goes back into Oparamovich's pocket. So it's going to be a, a very interesting next few days. Apparently there's a list of uh, potential buyers out there, Smithy. But uh, what does it do to the price? It probably uh, reduces the price in terms of uh, this becomes a bit of a, a bargain deal for somebody. It almost, uh, David, becomes a bit of a fire sale, doesn't it, for that, uh, for that point? And there will be, as you say, uh, around the, the Saudi area or whatever, uh, people just hunting this down, surely? Yep, there are, there are a queue of people. I've, I've seen all sorts of names uh, linked. Uh, all of them with billionaire after the title. They've got the money. They've got uh, some British uh, consortiums being pulled together. There's some interest, as you say, in the in the Arab world. The Americans have been big in football lately. So there is a queue of about 10, they reckon. Those are the 10 that have gone public. And on my read of things, it's probably not one of them will get it. It'll be one of the more private bits that's going on. They reckon there are plenty of buyers out there, plenty of people with money who uh, want to get into the football game. Um you wonder why, because they don't make money at the moment. Uh, they uh, they operate at a loss, as I said. So uh, they do need these kind of buyers who uh, end up being benefactors as much as anything else. Uh, he must have, uh, Abramovich, uh, aside from uh, the Russian ties, etc., I mean, he must have uh, Chelsea pretty close to his heart and built this relationship over this period of time. David, because I, I'm reading a story now where there's about £1.5 billion of loans to the club that Abramovich has said he didn't want repaid to him when putting the club up for sale last week. I mean, we, we know he's got a truckload of money, but that's a lot of money to just uh, forfeit, isn't it? Yeah, correct. Look, he has had the football club at his heart. He's been a real um, benefactor, as they say. He, he's got uh, Chelsea sort of running through his veins. He, he, he's always been committed to the cause. Pretty ruthless in terms of his hiring and firing of managers. He's brought a lot of success. But the fans love him clearly, because he's brought such success to the club. But um, it's over, and it's over so quickly that you'll get a real sort of uh, reach for both fans and players. There's just so much interest in the story for me. Um, they've been told they can only spend 20000 per match in terms of getting to games, for example. Well, they've got games in the Champions League. They can't get to France. Um, I think it'd be next game against Lille on, on that kind of money. I don't know what they're going to do. They're gonna, Carpool or something, drive themselves across the <laughs> across the, uh, the, 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 the channel. No, I know. It's back to uh, the last century sort of operating model for Chelsea in the short term. They need to get it sold and sold quickly. Eurostar, mate. Eurostar. Get there quite quick too, I can promise you. Um, he, look, here's the thing. Um, uh, is this personal? Uh, is, this in, is this deeply personal at Abramovich for ties with Putin, etc.? Or is this just across the board Russia? Across the board... Um, about two weeks ago, it started getting chatted about in Parliament about the, uh, the, the money that is coming out of um, Russia. He's pretty close to Putin, I reckon. I read some books. Uh, there's a great read on uh, ownership of football. I think it's called The Billionaires Club. And uh, in that book, they certainly linked um, Abramovich and other Russian oligarchs pretty closely with Putin. They paid their money uh, in, uh, in an interesting way, I suppose, at the time of the sort of... Uh, of the. Um, the oil barons of, of Russia really have made just so much money and where it's come from, who knows, you know that Abramovich is heavily linked so he won't be able to escape his association with Russia. As will other, there's other clubs that have some Russian money, I think Everton are another club that have some. 
money coming into them out of Russia, so they'll be in. But Chelsea's the big name because it's almost a one-man club in terms of the ownership. Roman and Abramovich has been the, the single person who's probably kept Chelsea football at the top of their game. So when you look at this, David, from the outside, it's a big, big shake-up. It's a big turnaround, the fire sale, as we've already talked about. Um, do you fear a little bit for Chelsea's immediate future, or do you think everything can be uh, bought, sold, and uh, redistributed in terms of signings, etc., um, in the interim and between seasons? Yeah, well, they're in action this morning uh, in the Premier League. The player impact is interesting. We've got so many players up for um, renewing contracts. I just can't see that they can sign any of those players or those players play with any confidence. Does that affect their on-field performance in the short term? Currently third in the Premier League. I could imagine a, a, a bit of a uh, reaction on the field that results in them maybe falling out of the top four, which means they're not playing Champions League. It's a real pivotal time. The next few weeks are critical on the park. Um, but I do have fears that uh, our days as a Roman Empire that took us to the top of sort of uh, world football um, might be numbered. OK, David, uh, I can tell you you'll be a happy man. You're probably watching anyway. It's 2-1 to Chelsea over Norwich with yeah. uh, five minutes to go. So you, you'll be quite chuffed about that yeah. away from home. Uh, listen, um, all whites, mate. You, you've got a bit of a, an interest in being a former yeah. all white, of course, and what's coming up with these World Cup qualifiers. A massive squad of around, what, uh, 30, I think, uh, Danny Hayes announced, uh, because of availability and non-availability. It's a bit of a shamozzle. Uh, courtesy of Oceania Football. We're not um, um, oblivious to that anyway, David, but how do you see this shaping up? Is there any danger for us in this in this particular series of games? Yeah, there is, because it's a logistical nightmare. He's got players arriving midstream, and some coming, some going. He doesn't get his best squad till sort of later in the tournament. The risk is, and, and world football is like this anywhere, you go in underpowered, you, you, you run a big risk, and... Um, for, for the All-Whites to be assured, they really have to put out their best side as often as they can. Um, the good the news story, I think, is we've got great depth at the moment of players. There's a, there's a lot of players around the globe who are now plying their trade as professionals, probably the most we've ever had. So I'd, I think Benny Hay can traverse what will be a difficult tournament. Uh, and tournament play is very different to a home-and-away basis, which has been the typical way of qualification. So all of those new things present risk. We should still be favoured, we should still be favourite, we should still be confident, but it just adds another layer of complexity that I'm sure Danny Hayek had come about. Yeah, it's interesting. I look at the squad and I thank goodness that at some point we're going to have all our big big boys available. How do you think, still a fair way out, but how do you think this World Cup all-white squad measures up to perhaps previous ones when we've actually made the cut and gone there? Is this side likely to do that? Really good. I, I think, if anything, we've got, broadly speaking, more talent. The last time out, we had some players at the top of the game. I'm thinking Winston Reid was right at the top of his game. Now, they're coming off their, their highs, so that probably balances the scorecard a bit. But the group of young players that's been sort of coming through, and if you think about players like Kakachi, who's gone to Serie A, um, those kind of players should be coming into their prime and should be sort of the next generation. I think he's got a good squad. I think he's got as good a squad as we've ever had. Chris Wood is critical to get the goals. Mm. But there's a young fella, Alex Greaves, now plying his trade up in Scotland. Could be a bolter, someone who you wouldn't have heard much about, but he's turned up in Scotland and started to make a name for himself. So I think there's some real um, 
talent that we might unearth through this uh, next series of games. David, Ufuk Tales uh, certainly got the Phoenix, uh, looks like heading in the right oh. direction, playing some good football. He's a great coach. Uh, unbelievable, really, because all of the um, sort of reasons that you wouldn't perform are presented in front of him. But he gets the side playing decent football. They play sort of this possession game. But midweek against Newcastle, they went the other way and played on the counter and did it hugely effectively, ended up winning 3-2 to put themselves into the playoff zone. If you'd asked me at the beginning of the season, Smithy, I said I thought it was going to be a battle for them to actually get into playoff football. But Ufuk Tale, I would say, is probably the hottest property in terms of coaching talent in the A-League. He's really got the best out of this Wellington Phoenix side in pretty tough circumstances. David Choke, great catching up with you. Uh, I'd like to have a beer, beer with you at some stage and relive some old uh, Miramar Rangers days. That would be fantastic, mate. I uh, hope you're well, and thanks very much for your time. Great to catch up, so I think we'll, we'll, we'll do that at some point. Thank you. Good on you. David Choke there, thanks for uh, joining us on SENZ this morning. It's 10.15. We've got uh, a panel next, courtesy of Dilma. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. Oh, relaxing cup of tea there uh, with uh, Dilmar, of course, 10.20 here with uh, SENZ in the morning at, and it's panel time. And uh, we've got uh, Mark Hinton on the blower and uh, Sam Hewitt in studio with us. Um, I'll start with you, Sam Hewitt. You're uh, very busy, uh, I understand, uh, calling Warriors games this year and we've got quite a lot of it on SENZ. How are you going to go about that, mate? I- uh, are you a true Warriors man, or are you going to have neutrality about your call? <laughs> oh, hard to say, Smithy, until I'm in the booth, to be honest, in front of the microphone. Uh, there'll be a little bit of Warriors uh, bias, potentially, leaning one way, but uh, I'll try and keep it as neutral as I can for all our Aussie listeners. Uh, they'll be tuning in uh, via NRL Nation on ECN. Um, but no, very exciting, Smithy. Season uh, kicked off last night, of course, with Manly and, uh, and Penrith, um, and we've got all Warriors games on SENZ. We are just calling a couple until they come home, so I think we've got about four that we're calling uh, me and Tony Kemp until they get back, but all the games will be live uh, on SENZ. Okay, so you know when they're coming back. Have you got a confirmed well, schedule? Well, there, uh, there is yeah. that July 16 date um, that, that they've targeted, which I think is around 16, and it's against the Tigers, who I imagine will be bottom of the table. So I can't wait for that, um, but I think they're still finalising um, finalising that date. But but hopefully, you know, sort of mid, mid-season, mid they'll be um, back on New Zealand shores. I can't wait for that. I really can't. Uh, good morning to you, uh, Mark Hinton. Uh, I've been away for a little while covering... Uh, uh, the women's cricket, have you showed uh, showed much uh, interest in that, Mark? I mean, uh, it was a great win by the White Fans last night, um, and now they've got Australia on Sunday. Yeah, yeah, of course, Smithy, Home World Cup, you've got to tune in, don't you? Um, um, it's been an anxious start. It's a nail-biting one for the White Fans with that early loss to the West Indies, and then the rain in Dunedin that had us all a bit uh, concerned, potentially... Um, you know, a washout there, which would have could have really impacted on the semi-final chances. But look, they've made their correction, haven't they? That was a pretty ordinary performance against the West Indies, particularly in the in the field, I thought. But uh, you know, they got that the, the win in the rain shortened match in Dunedin, and then really um, bounced back reasonably emphatically against India. It did the job, didn't they, Smithy? So um, uh, they've set it up nicely. They're back on track for the semi-finals, and 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 I think we really get a sense for. 
how good this team, we will get a sense for how good this team is mm-hmm. on Sunday against the Aussies, of course, uh, as good as they are, the tournament favourites. Um, you know, it, there's some good signs, um, but they, they haven't put it together yet, I don't think. Maybe there still seems like more to come, particularly yeah. in the field, even though that was a better bowling effort against India. Yeah, you read that right. It certainly was a, a better bowling effort. Uh, one of the things that is, uh, being back at a sports venue, it's been a while for me, Mark, is that uh, there is no atmosphere there, uh, and I think that's a real shame for the ladies. Yet I feel there could be. Uh, you know, they, they let 10% in the, uh, of the ground capacity. They've now changed that to 20%. Honestly, there's so much space, uh, and the girls are missing out. I, I reckon it's, it's, it's really quite sad. that They could have reviewed that even and be more generous, I feel. Yeah, it does feel that way, Smithy. I know uh, these are sort of uh, anxious times as, as the, as the um, virus kind of spreads around the community. And I guess we, we need, you know, sporting organisations need to be seen to be responsible. But it, there is a bit of a feeling of fait accompli about it, isn't it? And maybe, you know, um, things should start to open up soon, but it's not going to be soon enough, is it, for some of these sporting events. I'm going to the Blues game tonight. It'll be in an empty stadium. And it really is an eerie feeling. Um, you know, particularly as we look around the world and see everything opened, has opened back up. Look, we're we're behind, you know, the cycle and all this. We know that, um, but it is still strange. Sport sport needs to be played in front of people, Smithy, and it really isn't the yeah. same in empty stadiums. And, and the sooner we get out of this, the better. Yeah, I, I think it's damaging our chances. To be fair, I, I think it, I think a decent crowd, uh, Sam Hewitt, a decent crowd. Um, I thought at, at um, Mount Maunganui he might have lifted us across the line uh, against the West Indies, but there was just such a feeling of neutrality around the place. It was kind of, are we at home? Yeah, and I think these games are, are, are very tight, Smithy, that they only come down to you know those small margins, which probably can be a home crowd cheering you on. And um, Look, I've been loving watching it on TV, and I imagine there's a lot of people who would love to go should they open the doors and I don't know maybe it gets to the point where we just say if you do want to go you take the risk um, that's what they did in the American sports leagues they basically once they got those vaccination rates up and they had mask wearing etc they basically said if you want to come to the venues you can um, you know and, and if you catch something then that's the risk you're taking um, you know whether or not we're sort of at that stage yet but I, I would love to see um, especially as we get to these you know the, the, the business end of the, of the tournament especially semi-finals and finals there's, there just has to be more people there yeah, totally agree. Uh, listen, uh, Sam, our boss, uh, Craig H- Hutchinson, of course, he's got a penchant for buying basketball teams. Uh, got one on either side of the Tasman. But I, I just wonder if he'd mother, uh, put a bid in for Chelsea. What do you reckon? Well, gee whiz, he might be able to get it for a steal at this stage um, mm. if he can get his hands on it. This, is, um, this has a, been an incredible story overnight, Smithy, with the UK government um, basically putting a halt on anything Chelsea. I even just read this morning that all of their loan players have to return to the club so they can no longer be on loan to other clubs. They have to all come back. Um, they're, not, they're not allowed to extend their deals when they come back um, because the club's now not allowed to buy or sell any players, no merchandise. There's stories of people in the merchandise shop having to put the merchandise back on the shelf in the middle of their shop because this ruling's come out that they just can't basically run as a business. So I find it interesting, Smithy, you've got one person who's getting sanctioned and it's going to affect hundreds of thousands of people. One person getting sanctions. Very, very interesting. Yeah, I would imagine, Mark Hinton, that uh, New Zealand rugby and uh, a lot of New Zealand sports bodies uh, are happy that they don't have close ties with Russia because you can see a mess, the mess that can be made. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it's one thing, uh, 
perpetual plum prices spiraling up out of control, but it's an, another one that affects the mighty English Premier League, you know, uh, and one of the storied clubs, and also one of the kind of storied ownerships. Roman Abramovich, of course, came in in 2003 and absolutely transformed not only Chelsea, but really the Premier League with his spending. I think they won, they've won five titles and a couple of um, Champions League crowns. Mm. And, of course, you know, he, he sort of set things off in terms of basically owners with uh, almost unlimited spending power and, and creating uh, a Super League in the UK. Now he's very much beside the non-grata because of his, his close ties to the Kremlin and, of course, you know, with everything going on in the world. Um, even the UK government, who are not exactly known for being swift, decisive decision-makers, have acted. And really, uh, while well, the British reports are saying that Chelsea's in absolute chaos, you know, they've got people waiting to be re-signed and they can't, literally cannot do anything and that's uh, really tilting um, things, things sort of out of control in the, in the Premier League. So, yes, um, the first possibly, Smithy, though, of many things that are going to play out around this um, pretty horrific invasion. I, you know, this is a, a watching brief and sport is only, you know, really uh, in, impacted in the minor way if you look at what's going on in the Ukraine. So uh, I guess it's something we've got to put up with. What did you make of uh, Super Rugby or Picky Mark uh, last night? Quite a close uh, game between um, Manawa and Maratu. What did you make of that? Yeah, it was good. It was entertaining, a great finish. You know, um, another game decided on a missed kick, really, or, or one on a missed kick. But, um, yeah, good to see the competition away. Just such a shame, Smithy, isn't it, that, that they've been, you know, so affected by, by COVID, as so many sports have been, squeezed into a 10-day window. It kind of feels like a bit of an afterthought, I really feel, for the woman. Um, in this case, this was supposed to be, you know, something special, you know, making history, and it's um, it's unfortunately been really squeezed, which, you know, no one wanted, and, of course, you know, um, circumstances were working against them. But uh, it's great to have it underway, great to have, you know, the woman represented at that professional level, and the standard of football was pretty good, all things considered. Um, you know, it hasn't been an ideal build-up. So I hope, just hope the rest of the games continue like that. They're all good finishes like that. And, um, you know, let's face it, we need our New Zealand women's rugby players to start building some form because they've got a big tournament later this year. They sure have, and it's getting closer by the minute. It's uh, coming up to news time here on SENZ. Uh, we'll take a, a little bit of that with uh, Emma. When we come back, uh, we might talk about the king, eh? The king of spin for uh, a minute or two. I'm sure Sam and uh, Mark Hinton would have some reflections on the great man whose uh, coffin arrived back uh, in Australia late last night. The Expertise Panel, brought to you by Dilma. Do try it. 10.32 here on SENZ. We're smack bang in the middle of the panel. i just give an update, uh, fellas. Uh, from the Caribbean, where uh, it is 3.73 for nine, the West Indies in their first innings, building up a more, more than handy lead uh, against England, a dangerous type lead. Uh, Sam, can I I'll get to you, uh, just finish off on the uh, Picky, uh line of thinking. It's great to see it's underway. It's going to be abbreviated. It's going to start and finish in a flash, but um, I, I like it. Uh, and I like the fact that everyone thought that um, the Chiefs side, the Man- Chiefs Manawa would run away with this competition on squad. Mm strength 
that might not happen. No, well, that was a yeah, very impressive performance from the Southerners last night, considering that uh, that Chiefs side is stacked with uh, Black Ferns and Black Ferns Sevens players. And given that we're in a World Cup year, um, you can imagine everyone's going hammer and tongs uh, in that team. It's not like, you know, the, the rest year where your players aren't trying to do as much, Smithy. Everyone's really vying for those uh, Black Fern spots. So, um, yeah, that's great to see. You, you hope it is going to be close because, uh, you know, and, and I sort of agree with Mark, you know, it is a little bit disappointing that the, the flagship competition that then its first year has sort of been um, condensed into a little bit of an afterthought. Um, but if all the games are like that, gee, the next uh, the next two weeks is going to be fantastic. They are. Look, you know, 10 days ago, we were all, I think it might have been 10 days, might have been slightly longer, we were, we were just sitting dazed in, in amazement that we could lose uh, two such great rugby identities in the space of such a short space of time. Uh, in terms of uh, Vainga Tuagamala, of course, and Joely Vendiri, just within hours. And all of a sudden, Australia suffer uh, the same fate with two guys who will go down in uh, their cricketing history as uh, one of the greats or two of the greats of all time, and perhaps the greatest of all time, Shane Warne. Uh, you, you've probably only seen clips of Rod Marsh playing, uh, Court Marsh, Bold Lily Sam, but you certainly would have seen a lot of Warney. Bold Shane, probably <laughs> got on your nerves. So, Got on your nerve for a lot, but uh, your recollections of Shane Warne, what will you remember him by? Yeah, you're bang on Smitty. You know, right in the in my sort of um, younger years, growing up. So in the backyard, it was always trying to tweak the ball like uh, like Shane Warne, and um, obviously you can never do it. But uh, not unless you put a little bit of extra tape on the tennis ball. But um, the thing that really you know that I remember Shane Warne for, and, and one of my favourite clips is when he was playing in the Big Bash um, when he spent those few years playing there and he was commentating pretty much every over and he was bowling to Bears and um, he gets asked, you know, what are you going to do for Bears here? And he basically says, oh look, you know, he, last one he chased it so I reckon he's going to go for a, um, a sweep shot here. I'm going to put it in a bit faster and get him around his legs. The very next ball everything happened exactly how he planned it out and Smithy it's not I mean there probably are quite a few cricketers out there who have that mind who are able to sort of see the game like that but then to be able to execute that's for me what made Shane Warne so good was that he, he had the genius but he also had that execution and knew exactly where he was going to put it and he did exactly what he said he was going to do um, and he just did that throughout his whole career so like a really sad loss it's one of those ones you wake up and you it, for me it was almost like the Kobe Bryant it's like you wake up and you you just you sort of don't believe it. You thought, oh, this must be a, mm. you know, this must be a, a Twitter rumor or something. And then the more it sort of comes out, the more you think, wow, okay. And just yeah, in shock, really. Well, Mark Hinton, you've had a terrific career in journalism thus far, and you've written about a lot of superstars around the world of sport, I'm sure. Uh, but here's one who uh, I think they broke the mold with Shane Warne. What is what did Shane Warne mean to you from one a media point of view, one a cricket to a cricket point of view? Oh, just everything, Smithy. I think when you think about um, sportsmen um, over over time, over history, you know, who legitimately changed the game, who legitimately, um, um, you know, rewrote the parameters of their sport. I think of Michael Jordan and basketball. You know, you think of maybe the great Richie McCaw and rugby, um, and you definitely think of Shane Warne and cricket. Um, he made spin bowling sexy. He made spin bowling legitimate, I guess, when you can say legitimate at a time when, uh, you know, the, the move into limited overs cricket and eventually into T20 threatened the art of spin bowling. I think he came along and just showed what could be achieved with that computer mind of his. I think Sam's point was really valid. One of the things I always 
uh, took away from particularly the late, later part of Shane Warne's career when, when he was able to interact and talk us through elements of what he did was just what a computer he had in his mind around uh, what ball he was going to bowl next. He, he absolutely changed the game. Um, he was attacking. He showed that as a spin bowler, you didn't just go out and contain. You went out and could bowl every bit as attacking as somebody bowled 140, 150 clicks. So he, he absolutely changed the game for me. And if you look at the influence of spin bowlers now and um, T20 cricket in particular, and, even, and, and in all aspects, really, of the game, um, it, it, so much of it stems back to what Shane Warne did. He, um, you know, he he was able. He was a weapon in a, in a side of the game that wasn't always regarded as being potentially a weapon. So, um, just I was just devastated when I heard about it. Uh, he was fun to watch. He made cricket fun to watch because you just always knew something was going to happen next. Um, and invariably it did, and invariably it resulted in him uh, raising his arms aloft and, and a batsman walking back to the dressing room. So, yeah, and he was, you know, Smitty, you, you'll appreciate this, and, and, and you've followed a similar pathway. He was also a great commentator. He knew the game so well, and the way he was able to, to read it, and, and also just his flair, his, his um, you know, everything about him, I think, exuded character and personality and uh and it came across in his commentary uh, every bit as much as it did in his cricket. So um, a great loss for the sport, just devastating, yeah. and um, I'm sure Australia is really feeling it. Yeah, I, I, I think they are, and they're going to feel it too until uh, he's put to rest and uh, you know the hurt will start to go away on a lot of people. Man, could he throw a party. Man, could he throw a party. <laughs> I'll tell you that. Uh, one day, one day uh, not in this particular environment, I'll tell you about it. But anyway... Um, here we go, uh, Sam. Uh, let's get back to uh, Super Rugby, um, and uh, of course, it's devastated again. And here we have the Hurricanes riddled with COVID. We're told, man, it just can't get it. It just—it's unforgiving. It just can't get itself into gear. No, Smithy, and I, uh, you know, I think we even talked about it a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about Moana Pacifica, um, you know, missing their first few games, and how you know this is probably going to be the reality. And I imagine more teams, you know, are going to fall victim to it as well um, it is disappointing because as we mentioned with Moana you're going to get um, a couple of very tough weeks um, for the Canes now where they're going to have to play you know three or four games over the course of 14 days which um, which is mm. you know that's unfortunate for them because it's going to be very tough to back up especially when you're playing you know New Zealand derbies they're very tough games as it is so um, yeah I, I it's, it's interesting because as well we've got the trans-Tasman sort of element to it as well and you know what's going to go on there I mean imagine if a if a crusaders got hit with COVID you know a week or two before the competition's beginning to wrap up um, how's that going to work with you know potentially pulling an Aussie team so um, yeah just just a really tough situation Smithy and, and unfortunately I, I, I have a feeling that we're not going to see the end of it after this uh, Kane saga Okay uh, well it's slightly pessimistic Sam but I'm <laughs> um, and, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm actually inclined to agree with you on that point um, at the moment anyway. Um, and Mark, what, your take now, it's been what, two or three weeks going, we've seen uh, each team in action now, what's, what's your overall take on it, uh, abbreviated as it's been? Um, nothing's really, nothing's really, what is that expression, the more things change, the more they stay the same, the Crusaders are still the best, yeah. the Blues are still frustratingly inconsistent, and the... Um, and the Chiefs are, are, you know, are, are, are a great plucky side that find ways to be competitive, and and and, and so far, 
Uh, I think Mark Hinton just uh, dropped off the line there. So yeah, um, I think it was my negativity um, drove him away, Smithy. To be honest, uh, yeah. So <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll, Okay, well, uh, Sam, what, what have you got on your show this afternoon? Well, we're uh, we're going to talk with Martin Z- uh, Ziegler, who's a um, an award winning uh, sports journalist, football journalist out of uh, the UK, out of the Times, who's been covering this Chelsea story in depth. Um, man, he's written some really fascinating pieces, just going into the details of how Abramovich is involved with Russia, um, how it's going to affect Chelsea and the club. Um, so, yeah, really keen to to dive into that with him. Also got. Jeremy Paul, our resident uh, Friday uh, regular Aussie correspondent, talking all things uh, Aussie Super Rugby and maybe casting his eye over here. He's a big cricket fan as well, um, Smithy. So yeah, he'll probably have a yarn or two about Shane Warne as well as uh, as well as how the Aussie women are doing here. So um, plenty coming up along with uh, you know all our regular giveaways and segments that we always do on a Friday. So it should be a lot of fun. Oh, just it's a must, isn't it? It's an absolute it is, must. It is must. It's, and and a, and a bit of rugby league chat as well. Great, good game last night, uh, man. Penrith. Uh, you can't look at that Penrith side. Anyone who thought they were going to have second year blues, Smithy, that is a premiership side right there. Good on you, Sam. Have a great afternoon. We'll catch up with you later. Uh, also, uh, thanks to Mark Hinton who uh, uh, dropped off the line there, and uh, we'll have Mark uh, with us uh, in about a week's time. A great contrib- contributor to the Dilmar panel. We'll be back very shortly. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold it. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Right, uh, multi coming up for the weekend, so you have to be patient with us because one of them involves the cricket test between the West Indies and England, which I believe will finish in a draw. It is a flat, flat pitch. Uh, the West Indies have a lead now of around about 70, uh, which is handy, uh, providing them can get a fairly solid start, and they haven't had one of those for about seven years. But if they do, uh, then I think they might be able to bat themselves into a position of safety, and uh, I think that test will be a draw. Uh, the Indian women will beat the West Indies. That's what I'm predicting. The West Indies have been hot so far in this World Cup. But uh, India are now pretty desperate, I feel. And uh, they will, uh, I think, be just a little bit too strong. They'll bounce back from losing to New Zealand. Uh, that's a buck 40. And uh, I've also taken a draw in the Phoenix game against the Brisbane Roar at $3.40. So there's a couple of risks there, I guess. It's called punting, isn't it, I suppose. $9.57. $9.57 for uh, that one if it comes to pass. Uh, we've got uh, an update on the Players' Championship. The Players' Championship, of course, the fifth major, they call it, the pros. Uh, it's one they want to win outside the majors. Uh, Tommy Fleetwood leads at the moment. They've had a rain-interrupted day. Uh, so uh, Tommy Fleetwood leads is six under. Uh, Will Zalatoris, five under. Hickok, uh, Kramer Hickok, five under. Uh, Harold Varner, the third at four under. Abraham Ants, uh, the Mexican, at minus four. Uh, Victor Hovland, minus three. Brian Harmon, minus three. And K.H. Lee, minus three. That is the leaderboard at the moment in the Players' Championship. Um, I thought, well, go. Well, should we go for a break or should we read a couple of texts out? What, uh, what do you reckon? Okay, well, let's read some texts out. Um, ask Mark Hinton why didn't Super Rugby players stay in Queenstown. Chris, uh, if that text had come in about 30 seconds sooner and Mark hadn't have dropped off the line, I would have. So I'm sorry about that. But it's a very valid question because it's gone a bit pear-shaped since, hasn't it? Uh, when you take players from a bubble situation and let them go home and mix with their friends and family, and they will, they will, um, you know, that's called life. 
uh, and they'll go for a cup of coffee down the cafe. They might even have uh, dinner with their partners because they haven't seen them for a while. Why not? I mean, that is to say, that's uh, what you do, don't you? Um, and then you, uh, as soon as you do that, go out your front door or whatever, um, apparently you, you line yourself up for it. So um, that's a good point, Chris, but uh, I understand it's very, very expensive uh, being in a bubble situation and players prefer to be at home. So that is the story of uh, what's happened clearly with uh, hurricanes. Um, why did they burst, uh, said Pete? Why did they, uh, PD comes in and said, why did they burst the Super Rugby bubble? I missed the news on that one, but honestly, what did they expect without a bubble? Uh, and I think they probably did expect it. At the end of the day, Chris Linderham and Co. and NZR have researched this pretty deeply. Uh, they, I think, would have known that uh, they uh, would have been lining themselves up for it because it's so uh, prevalent uh, in our community. Uh, it's around the Women's World Cup, of course it is. Uh, but at the moment, uh, touch wood, it has been largely unaffected by the whole deal. So uh, let's hope that continues. Michael's come in with uh, a really nice text. I was lucky enough to caddy for a friend from Queensland at Jack's Point in Queenstown uh, a few years ago, uh, uh, but he missed the cut at the NZ Golf Open. So we, they got paired with Warney for the day, Shane Warner. It was five and a half hours of pure entertainment. I asked for an autograph on a scorecard at one point. He said, I'll do better than that. Came back with a personalised, tightless number 23 sign. What a man, larger than life. That is Shane Warne. That is Shane Warne to an absolute T. Uh, time for everybody. Time for everybody. And time for a break here, 10.51am. Visit loveracing.nz, racing's biggest fan. <laughs> Joined by Louis Herman Watt as uh, we... Focus a little bit on the uh, thoroughbred racing industry, and uh, I haven't spoken to you since Asterix stole the derby, uh, Louis, and I believe there may be a former black cap involved in the ownership of that as well. Yeah, great batch, right? Mark, great batch, is it? Yeah. I think, um, mm. yeah, right, stole the derby. Jonathan Park sat, sat out the back. That feels like a lifetime ago, Smithy. You've been commentating cricket, and it's, by the way, it's so good to hear you commentating cricket again. I know I've said it before, but <laughs> I just love it. I just love it. It feels right. Now, um, that, that, the Caracas sales have been going on in the meantime. It's been very, very busy. And then this weekend, well, we've got Group 1 racing on Saturday in Australia. And then Sunday, the last day at HQ until it's uh, renovated and redone. Jamie Richards' last day training at HQ for we don't know however long. It's going to be an emotional day at Ellerslie on Sunday, Smithy. But... I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk to you about race seven at Flemington. I don't see any reason why John Barry doesn't get a group one placing, if not more, to his name this weekend in Australia. Well, I was with said gentleman, he still retains ownership in that horse, said nothing, said absolutely nothing, which is probably a very good sign that it might. Yeah, 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 yeah. I saw him at the sales. Man, he's fired up. What a great man, uh, John Barry. He he's loving it, and I can't see why. From Barry eleven, cool sign Mav always got good manners. Jumps to the front, rolls to the top, and yeah. I don't know how much pace is in this race. I wouldn't have thought it'll be sensational. I think it should get near the lead, if not the lead. And I can't see why it doesn't bowl along. And if Flemington's playing, well, even fairly. Give them a sight, and it'll give some something. Think it over in Cascadian and Spanish Mission something to run down. I think the three dollars fifty around Corsa Mavs value. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I totally agree with you. Uh, what about the cup? What about the old cup? Hey, eh? on on Saturday the Auckland on Sunday the Auckland Cup uh, to end the carnival to end the sales. Um, you know, I think they've got that nicely balanced that program actually. What's going to win the cup, Louis? 
Yeah, I, I agree. I completely agree. I think it has got, uh, they've got it really well balanced. Look, I, I don't think 56 kilograms for concert halls too much at all. I, I love concert hall. What a super mare. Lincoln King's always going to be in it. Hurry Kane. Never is loved in the market, but always flashing home wide outside for Raymond Connors. Uh, a good barrier as well. Starry Bill doesn't mind it up there at Ellerslie. But for me, the class horse, let's just not overthink it. Concert Hall, Ryan Elliott, they love it at Ellerslie. Thanks, Louis. Have a great weekend, mate. Uh, let's get across to uh, Pip Morris at the TAB. Pip, uh, busy weekend of greyhounds, and today in particular, Addington and Palmerston North. Yeah, good morning, Jess. Millie certainly is. And Palmerston North bonus back races as well on races one and two. And then looking forward to the weekend, bonus black blitzes back across Rotal, Trenton, Flemington and Pukekohe. And of course, with the huge meeting at Ellerslie, all races are bonus back. So that's a real incentive to get involved. You are a star is currently the best back in the Auckland Cup with Starry Bell nipping on the heels there. And the bone crusher, the top three favourites. And then the railways, so they're dynastic. And just quickly, want to mention two warriors. There's a nice play on them for the NRL top eight to make it. You can back them, and if they avoid the wooden spoon, you can get your money back as a bonus bet up to fifty dollars. So worth having a play. And I can tell you, the Warriors fans are out in force. They have really been taking up that offer. They always are. But on this uh, glorious Friday. And it's a really good morning too for the White Ferns because uh, they had a great performance yesterday. It was their, without doubt, their best, com- most complete performance of this uh, Women's World Cup, which is now eight days old, believe it or not. And we have seen some great action, some terrific action, some some upsets, uh, some real quality performances, particularly with the bat as well. So plenty to talk about as well. We're joined this morning by head coach for the White Ferns, uh, Bob Carter, who uh, I imagine is about to be in transit. Uh, to Wellington for a big game at the weekend. Bob, thanks very much for your time this morning. Good morning, Ian. Nice to talk to you. Yeah, nice to talk to you, mate. And, and I, I guess on a morning where I would imagine you're pretty satisfied with a, a pretty good all-round performance yesterday, which it had to be. Yeah, it, it did, Ian. And um, I, I think the most pleasing thing was was certainly the way, the way we bowled. I, I think we've been a little bit off the pace with our bowling. Um, certainly over the, the Indian series before we started the World Cup. Um, but yesterday, I, I think we applied the pressure um, from, from, from ball one, really, which was, which was down to Frankie Mackay and her, her amazing spell um, at the start of the innings in the power play, which is never easy. But then it was followed up by, by the rest of the bowlers. So very, very pleased with that performance. And, and also being able to get 260, I thought we were a little bit short of where Mm. of where we should have been. I thought we didn't play so well in the last 12 overs, but I suppose I, if I'd have been offered 260 at the start of the game, I think I might have taken it. Yeah, uh, in the end, quite convincing. Uh, so it really did prove to be enough. Let, let's get back to the, the theory about uh, the, uh, opening with a spinner. Of course, in World Cups, we've seen that with in, in the men's form of the game uh, many, many times. But this was an interesting one, particularly uh, against a side like India, who usually pretty adept at, at playing spin uh, quite aggressively. So that was a bold move, but Frankie came to the party for you. Well, Frankie was up for it. I mean, that was the, um, I think that was the big, big point for us, uh, mentioning it to her. Um, she, she straight away said, yep, I can do that. And um, knowing that they were, were going to play three left-handers um, up front, she bowls particularly well, I think, to, to the left-handers. Um, and, um, and, and I think it was just her whole attitude around uh, she was going to grab the ball first up and um, and it made such a difference to us. And well, as, as you know, she was well backed up by, 
by Jess Kerr mm. at the other end and um, to, to sort of keep India to, I think it was 26 for two off the first 10 was, was, a, was a fine performance. I, I like what Jess Kerr's done in the first uh, three games. Um, she's, uh, of course, of the, of the two Kerr sisters, she's uh, the less known, but man, she's developing into a terrific little all-round cricketer for you. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Ian. She's, um, I mean, I think she goes under the radar a little bit, Jess, but... Um, you know, she, she swings the ball late um, and, and her figures have been very good, certainly over the last 18 months and have been gradually building up with some best performances um, all the way through and coupled with her, um, her ability, as, you, as you've seen, to, to come in and be able to give the ball a bit of a whack at the end, um, perhaps a little mm. bit better than that, just, just, just whacking it. She, she, has got the, she has got some nice shots. She's proving a, a, a nice little all-round, all-round bowling all-rounder. So, uh, in, by opening with Frankie, which uh, that's enabled you to perhaps uh, just hold back a wee bit with Leah Tahuhu, which uh, has, she's been predominantly your opening bowler for a long, long time now, Bob. Um, so, uh, in a way, that kind of helped here, I think. Yeah, it did. I mean, I think Leah's been struggling just to find her, her real rhythm um, in those first couple of overs, almost like perhaps trying to bowl a little bit too quickly. Um, and, and by doing this, she was just able to come on and um, and almost like find her find her line straight away, and we know that she she can also bowl around the wicket to left-handers pretty well. But also she backed that up with um, you know, and, and we're not often seen in the in the female game. And um, you know, Leah bowled a number of bounces, um, and I mm. think that uh, yeah, it's a it's a big big part of our development to be able to you know. I know sometimes they're always the quickest bounces, but certainly um, they do they do pr- do a very good job. And I think we bowled. In the late teens yesterday, and only had about six runs scored off of them. Uh, before Bob, I get to the, the top four, which I think is very classy. I'd like to just touch on Katie Martin's uh, performance with the bat as well. She's very efficient with the gloves, we know that. Uh, but those runs are going to be very handy going through the tournament if she can produce on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean Katie again. Um, I mean we saw it nearly in the in the very close game against the West Indies, how she got us that close with with Jess. Um, and uh, and again, she backed that up with a with a very fine performance yesterday. And she was a little bit frustrated. I mean, you know Katie well. Um, she she gets she she felt she could have done more, but but I was I was delighted the way she she went about her business. And we ju- we just lost our way in those last two overs with others not coming in and quite quite getting back on ball. But um, that that's something that we can work on moving forward. But yeah, very pleased with as you say with her glove work as well. Um, yeah, she's she's working quite hard to. To keep back to the standard that she she wants it to be. Bob, uh, twice I've sat down once in the commentary box and once at home yesterday to watch Susie Bates bat, and I don't like seeing her run out in the first two or three overs. I imagine it's making you go even greyer. We've got to stop that happening. Ian, um, if you'd have sat where I sat for the last eighteen months, I think I could count how many times Susie's been run out on more than two hands, and um, and I, I really do. Go pretty hard about how we the frustration that runouts bring, um, and um, you know, and it's something that we've we've got we've talked about how we're trying to sort it out. It, I mean, I know we don't we, we can laugh about it a little bit when we liken it to, mm. to Roscoe and Kane, but um, but it's serious business, and it's serious business when it costs you such a such a fine player, um, you know, who, who I thought was striking the ball well yesterday, um, yeah, you know, and again an unnecessary run, um, so something we will certainly be reviewing, Ian. I'm sure you are. Uh, Sophie looks in great touch, and 
very, very powerful. And, and you know, I mean, she, she just looks the complete player to me. And, and uh, with, with Mealy, uh, Mealy Kerr, uh, two of the very best, I think, um, New Zealand has ever produced and maybe the world's going to see. And yet, Mealy Kerr's got so much more to offer. Yeah, I mean, I mean, as we know, Mealy had, had a short break and, and she's come back and, and she's certainly made herself, you know, she's worked diligently on her batting and, and we're seeing some some great reward for the White Ferns. And, and likewise, I think you've, you've alluded to it there with Sophie. I think, you know, she, she does hit the ball hard, but it's, as you've said there, it's, it's a lot more classier the way she's playing rather than just perhaps trying to just hit the ball out the park. And, and I think that's, that's really added to her game. And, and backed up with that, you know, with Amy's, Amy's sort of come in as, as a, you know, with not too many left-handers around in the, in the, uh, in the women's game. So it, it certainly helps us having a, having a left-hander there and makes us a strong, a strong top four. Okay, let's uh, get to um, what you've got to do now. I mean, you've balanced your act now. You've got back into a, a, a better position on the points table. But um, because of the nature of the competition and a, a dangerous team like the West Indies floating around, I mean, you just have to keep on winning, which means Sunday uh, we front up in Wellington against Australia, who have looked pretty damn good so far. Um, so how do we go about beating them? Bob, you've done it in a warm-up game, but as such, uh, how do we beat them? Well, it was the first time we've done it in a warm-up game, and um, I think we've, we've played against them enough now to understand that they, they back their batting. Um, they, they certainly will... Well, no matter whether they bat first or second, they'll just believe they're going to get enough runs. And that's hard to argue against. So we have to produce a bowling performance like we did yesterday. That's going to be uh, our thing to take to that next game, our consistency of bowling. And then, and then we know that they're going to bowl, they're going to try and bowl straight. They'll, they'll set a certain field and, and we know what that is. And, and we're just going to have to play the best that we can. And, um, you know, like, like we did yesterday, that's what we were trying to do. Um, and, and we've just got to take that same game plan and, and, and our mindset, I suppose, to, to, this, to this game against Australia. And, um, and, and you know, it's, it's a cliche, but normally cliches are right. It's, it's play the ball, not the player. Bob, they will come on. I would imagine if you open with Frankie, uh, I look at, uh, I've been watching Healy, I've been watching Haynes, two fine players, right-handed, left-handed combination. But when they've played spin, they've generally come at spin. So... If you entered that one, uh, that's going to be an interesting challenge for Frankie. Well, I, I know I know she'll be up for it. I mean, that's something um, something that she won't um, won't want to hide away from. And um, I think we'll we'll cert- certainly have a talk about that. I, I think it's a, I certainly think that's now an option, obviously for her. Um, and and we'll see whether we'll obviously look at the base and pitch um, to see whether that that as well will will be, be something that we, we could look to do if there's a win factor there, which there normally is. Um, so, so certainly against, against Australia, we, we would expect... And they, they always come hard at uh, Amelia. They always like to, to really go hard at her. So, so that, again, though, could produce us, you know, could give us the opportunity um, mm. to take wickets. Um, but, but again, you know, we, 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 have to, we have to really step up and, and not fear the way that they all play against us. Bob, you've... Uh... Well, we're three games in now from um, your point of view. Uh, you look very, very frustrated, understandably, at the narrow loss to the West Indies the other night. Um, uh, how are you feeling now uh, as things have uh, gone in the last four to five days? I think the first two games in were quite emotional. I think the girls were, were coming to terms with the start of the World Cup after you know, sort of being, being pushed back for a year. 
Um, the presentation of the shirts, we perhaps left a little bit too late. Um, but even even on saying all that, and I didn't think we bowled particularly well against West Indies, although I thought Hayley Matthews was was a uh, was a great innings. I mean, that was a uh, innings of high class. And um, but we 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 could have bowled better, obviously. But we we still got within within one hit, and um, disappointed in the end not to get across the line there. And that was where the frustration was. And then we went to to Dunedin, where you know I think we have to count ourselves fortunate that we played. Um, and and we may managed to to take I suppose the that 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 result to to yesterday and and I felt yesterday was the first time I, I we were showing what we can what we can do we showed it in the India series we've got to keep showing it if we want to have an opportunity to to do well in this in this tournament we have to be at our very best all the time and and that's that's as simple as that because there are some very very fine cricket teams here. Yeah, I mean, I've been absolutely gobsmacked with some of the batting I've seen. I think it's been world-class. And in any capacity, I just think some of the shot play and the execution has been brilliant. Bob, have you had a chance to really sit down and study what you feel you must need points-wise to get into uh, the top four, or is it too hard, too early yet? Yeah, I think, I think what you said about, um, you know, saying about the West Indies, you know, winning those two games, um, and, you know, they're obviously played to a, a really great plan. I think they've, you know, they've they've held their nerve in in two tight situations. Um, so they've they've produced that, and it's certainly thrown the competition wide open. So it's hard to hard to say as we sort of look at, and I, and I think you alluded to it earlier that you you actually have to pick up you know the the, the games that you know on a you just whether you play Australia, whether you're going to go and play South Africa or England, you, you've got to play all those games, and we're just trying to go. You know, again, it is a bit of a cliche, but it is one game at a time. That's what it has to be because if we can, you know, if we can win the next game, then it sets us up for the following game, and that's that's what's at the moment in our control. We don't want to uh, to allow um, anything else to be, um, you know, to to affect like another result has to go our way. We don't want that. We we want to be able to hopefully keep keep moving ourselves forward and and, and playing well and winning. Well, Bob, uh, looks good after yesterday. Um, really encouraged by that performance. And, man, wouldn't it just uh, become something special if Sunday night you were celebrating as well. Thanks very much for your time. Travel safe to Wellington and prepare well. See you down there. Thanks for the opportunity, Ian. Cheers. Yeah, thank you, Bob. Bob Carter, their head coach for the White Ferns. So really played outstandingly well to knock over India yesterday. India are a very good batting side, mark my words. They know how to play at the top of the order. And uh, New Zealand's bowling plans negated them. Uh, and there was no doubt about it. After about the first 15 overs, it was victory for our girls guaranteed. 11-16 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11-21 here on SENZ, and every Friday around this time we like to focus in on the greyhound racing industry and uh, really uh, talk to personalities around that. And I've spoken to two or three people uh, Ronnie O'Regan, uh, for one, uh, was uh, just a fantastic interview, and I'm expecting uh, our subject this morning to be exactly the same because, by all accounts, he's uh, a real character. Kevin Brady, good morning to you. Yeah, good morning, Freddie. Yeah. Yeah, and nice to talk to you, mate. Um, first of all, uh, back in your heyday, uh, people might or might not know, well, business people might know this, but you were the Auditor General, which I would imagine if you, you mentioned the word Auditor, Generally not the most popular person to walk through the door if you're in business, so uh, that might have been quite a testing time for you. 
Oh, it was always testing, but no, most people were pretty professional, and uh, often they may not like what I was going to say, but at least they never challenged my right to say it, and that's the way things should be. So no, I don't think I made too many enemies during the period, but it was testing times, but you just had to make sure you are right, and that, that always helps. <laughs> that always helps if you're an auditor, yeah. Uh, what have you done with your green pen? What have you done with your green pens then? Have you thrown them away? Oh yeah, yeah. I was involved in a few boards, etc., uh, a few ordinary committees. And no, the, the auditing finished at that stage. And of course, it was a seven-year term from Parliament. So at the end of the seven years, there was no right of renewal or anything like that. At the end of the seven years, you're out, which is the way it should be, because you wouldn't want to be seen oh, to think... with the politicians to get re-elected. So that was it. Uh. <laughs> No, exactly. You did right. Uh, I'm not quite sure about doing the job right now either, to be perfectly honest. But here's the thing: uh, I, I can't think of too many places further apart than being uh, sitting behind the desk as the Auditor General, and then getting involved in racing greyhounds, etc., and being on the Greyhound Racing Board. So tell us uh, about your love for greyhounds. Oh, well, it actually started. I was I was starting to do my master, and I wasn't a great student the second time, and. I was sitting there one Sunday, I think, there's got to be something better than this. And I thought, well, why don't you own a greyhound? So I looked on the internet, and I remember the name of Arjun Charters had a few dogs, so I took a third share in one of them, I think, called, or she was called Hinema Way, won five races, and had a hell of a lot of fun, and I've been hooked ever since. So, But it's not that strange, actually, because my predecessor was a staunch member of the Wellington Racing Club, and the guy, too, before him actually trained steeplechasers, so it's not that far apart occasionally. No. Well, actually, there's something in it. I'm not. I'm, there's something in it. I, I, I never really was aware of. Hey, you had a New Zealand Cup one or two, didn't you? Nature's Gent, New Zealand yes, Cup. Nature's Gent. Oh, fabulous! Oh, fabulous! Yeah, won um, the New Zealand Cup uh, 2017. Won the Wanganui Classics, Beyond Rose. I had a real purple patch at that stage because there was four Group Ones: November, December, January, February, and I had shared a couple of dogs that won all four. So that's never going to happen again. But you make the most of it, and uh, yeah, and, and even money was he won over two hundred fifty thousand, so not to be sneezed about. And he was well, in the top three sixty four times, so he's a pretty good dog. Yeah. That's a hell of a dog, uh, and that's a hell of a return. <laughs> because to be fair, to be fair, the stakes in, in greyhound racing um, are not that significant. You can really afford to go into it and think I'm going to make a fortune here. You've just got to be lucky, yeah. Well, you've got to be lucky, but. The thing you've got to remember is they race a lot more times. My latest dog, Typhoon Tim, he's won 44,000 since mid-October, and he's raced 19, he had 19 starts, 11 wins, 7 seconds and thirds in the fourth. So the fact that that's one of the advantages of greyhound racing, you get a lot of starts for your money. They may not, you know, they may only race for two or three years, but during that period you get a lot of fun. Kevin Brady, um tell us a wee bit about the state. You're on the board, you've been on the board of the greyhound racing, um, and... Uh, tell us about the state of, of greyhound racing, uh, the health of greyhound racing in this country. Well, it's actually booming. I know the media may not portray it that way, but uh, uh, the interest in greyhound racing is booming. Um, the turnover is unbelievable, and it's overseas as well. The Australians love our racing. Even a place like France and South Africa now, they love the game because it's, the integrity's there for a start. They know that it's honest, and they can bet with, um, you know, to make sure that it's going to be a fair crack, and no, actually, Greyhounds are doing very well. Um, we're certainly not broke, and uh, we've had a few issues, uh, and we're certainly fixing up. And, and welfare is really important, critical, and it, it doesn't—you don't need to be a rocket science to know that if your dog's not fit, 
it's not going to win. So even if you look at the commercial side, you've got to be fit. But there's more than that. You've just got to make sure you look after the animals, and we're doing a lot of that now. And a lot of the euthanasia rate, they've just dropped down to nothing now. We concerned, you know, the dog gets hurt, we fix it. And the other one that not to... we okay, sorry. No, you carry on, yeah. No, it's, it's, um, it's not as if they're forced to race. They love racing. I remember going to the trials here at Palmer's North up so long ago, and one of the trainers had a dog, and it was just a trial, a box opened, dog stepped out, wagged and started running out the back of the boxes to find the trainer. Now, that dog's immediately up for adoption because it's never going to race. You can't force them to race. They just love it. And 95% of them do that. But the other one or two that doesn't want to race, and that's fine. Just turn them into a pet. To turn them into a pet, they reckon they make great pets as well. Hey, hey give oh, some, incredible. Uh, yeah, they say they are. Uh, um, straight tracks. I, I look at Greyhound Racing and I, I enjoy it. Uh, straight tracks yeah. in Australia are on two or three of the venues over there. Don't think we've got one here. Is that a possibility at some point? Well, we're investigating. It'll probably be in the South Island. There's a lot more dogs, but um, they're boring as hell. <laughs> you can't see a thing <laughs> until they're about 30 metres from the straight because they're starting 300 metres away. It's a bit like I went to Trenton one day and I was at a corporate box that was at the end of the front straight just about as I was going around the corner out of the straight. And looking at the race, the horses coming down the straight from, I don't know, 400, 500 metres away. He had no idea what was in front until the, the guy, the commentator told you. Now, straight tracks are the same. They're, they're not interesting. Um, over in Australia... They're not actually that better uh, injury-wise either, but the good dogs don't run on straight tracks. They're generally pretty average dogs, and the times are accordingly, so they're not exciting. People don't bet on them. Um, so if we have a look, and there may be a faster dog, but they'd be good for them. Uh, it's, it's not to be all an end all. Okay, so, so I come back to you then as a greyhound punter, not an owner at this point, but a greyhound punter. And I yep. hear this terrible phrase, squeeze box, squeeze box. Um, and, of course, uh, you know, the, the, the drawer is the drawer, but you get in a squeeze yep. box, they say, is not the ideal place to be. So uh, can well, we not, get round the squeeze box? Out. No. <laughs> no. Can we, well, can uh, we get round yeah, it? Just, yeah. Yeah. No, you can. No, in, um, in the UK, for example, they have what they call preferential drawers. Now, in the UK, it's different, of course, because they only have six dogs, not eight. Mm. And... The lure runs around the outside, not the inside. But they do have preferential draws. But um, and so if your dog's a noted railer, you don't really want it drawn eight. And likewise, it runs outside. So it does. It makes a bit of a challenge when you're punting. So we're looking at that. We're going to do a few trials down in Christchurch just to see how well it goes. But it'll be up to the trainers as to whether they want to nominate the dogs. We're not going to force anyone to do it at this stage. But it's another thing to look at. But it does add, uh, take away a bit of a mystery, or in theory it should. But dogs seem to have a mind of their own anyway. So they'll just run what they want to run. No jockeys. <laughs> just whatever they want to do, they do. <laughs> hey, hey, Kev, have you got one running around this weekend or running around shortly you, we could have a look at? Oh, well, at Pina Colada, but, um, so I had the favourite for the um, railway last week. But when the, the fields came out, two dogs on the railway, they're both in the same heat and drawn box seven and eight. Oh, that was hardly fair. That's just the way life is. And the favourite got thumped by my other dog. The other dog, which was playing 81 on fixed odds, it won the heat and into the final. And the favourite was into the um, was the favourite on fixed odds. It finished up winning in the, the consolation, which it won by a street. So 
Uh, but Peter Clark's running again this weekend, and I think she's a bit better than what we anticipated. So I'll be having a bit of a look at on, on Sunday at Monica. Okay, we'll do that. Mate, we never even had a chance to talk about your history in bowls either. We might do that the next time. So, uh, Kevin, <laughs> thanks very much for your time. Thanks for your touch, for your time, Kevin, this morning. Uh, all of us with Pina Colada and um, great, lovely greyhounds. Thank you very much for your time. Okay, cheers, bye. Cheers, Kevin Brady there uh, on the board of the greyhound uh, racing industry as well. Uh, he was the Auditor General uh, and also he was, believe it or not, um, New Zealander of the Year way back. Uh, you can be uh, perhaps not New Zealander of the Year, but you can be a winner if you dial 0800 150 811 right now and have a crack at Stumping Smithy, where I believe you're up for about 150 bucks with the TAV vouchers. Good luck with that. Ian Smith's had a good match here. Stumped by Smithy. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. Yeah, it's great to have you back in the house, Smithy, after a few days where I've had to juggle with other hosts. Uh, but it is time for Stumped by Smithy. And after two days of fumbled attempts, the TAB vouchers have jackpotted up to a massive $150. That's up for grabs today. Along with some sleep drops, Daytime Revive, they are New Zealand's only specialist range of sleep and stress support supplements. And joining us now at the crease is Luke. How are you doing, mate? Where are you calling from? I'm good, thanks. I'm from Dunedin. Ah, uh, done is great to hear it, mate. Now, we have three sporting categories to choose from today. If you can answer all three questions correctly, then you can win it all. But if you get a question wrong, then it's over to main man Smithy for a chance to knock your bales off. Today's topics are track and field, rugby league, and baseball. Take your pick. Oh, rugby league would be the best out of that lot for me. All right, going with the rugby league. Let's go. Did you watch the game last night? I did watch bits of it, not the uh, entirety. Yeah, crazy to see uh, Tommy Turbo getting shut down there. Who knows? Penrith, maybe maybe they uh, go back to back. All right. First question for you, Luke. When was the last time the Brisbane Broncos made the NRL's top eight? Uh, we'll go. I'll just go. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. When was the last time they cracked the top eight? Well, they've been bad for a while. Um, I'll say they've been bad for six years, so I'll go 2016. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Surprisingly, 2019. That was okay. that oh. was Anthony Seabold's only only full season with the club uh, as head coach, where they finished one point ahead of the West Tig- West Tigers. So they just squeaked in there in 2019. Of course, things haven't been that great since. On to question two, Luke, you're still alive. Due to the pandemic, the last World Cup challenge took place in 2020. Who won? Oh. Uh... The storm would have been. Uh, we'll go Melbourne Storm. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. Over to you, Smithy. Say that. Say the question again, please. The World Cup challenge. We have the yeah. uh, the you know the winner of the Super League versus the winner of the yeah. NRL. Uh, last took yeah. place in 2020. Who won? Okay. Um, well, it's got to be an English team then, doesn't it? Somehow they got up and beat them. 
Uh, I'm going to go St Helens. One of the worst things I have ever seen done on a cricket field. St Helens did play that game, but it was the Sydney Roosters. Twenty to uh, the score was twenty Whoa. to twelve. Uh, get this, it was at Totally Wicked Stadium, formerly known as Langtree Park. I just thought that was a great name for a stadium. Totally Wicked. Uh, you are still alive, Luke. One hundred fifty dollars. TAB vouchers on the line and sweat drops. Last question, mate. Before Sonny Bill Williams retired from rugby league in twenty twenty one, yeah, he came back for a short stint with those Roosters. But which Northern Hemisphere club did he play for before then? In league? Yes. Uh, um, I want to say... Is it the, the American one? Canadian? Um, Toronto? Toronto? Oh, mate, you got there. Oh, you got there. For a bit. <laughs> I was thinking England, but then there's that. Yeah, you're right. I was thinking the Catalan Dragons. I was tr- trying to break my brains for whether it might have been Leeds or someone of that nature, but uh, it was such a short stint. Uh, so, yes, that's, yeah. uh, that's right. It was uh, the Canadian, um, Canadian outfit. Uh, and uh, interesting, Logan. That, that um, that's a good question. Actually, it would have had me. Would have had me as well. Yeah, I love that there was a rugby league team in Toronto, uh, there in Canada. I've spent a bit of time there myself. Unfortunately, uh, another casualty of the pandemic, which is uh, partly why uh, Sonny Bill came back down down under and played for the Sydney Roosters again. Um, but congratulations to you, Luke. Hold the line, mate. And uh, $150 of TAB vouchers are coming your way to to your account and the sleep drops. Yeah. Well oh, thank you very much. Let's, uh, let's hit the cricket and the league and the rugby over the weekend, eh? Yeah, it'll be fantastic. It's going to be a great weekend, and it's just, uh, racing as well with the Auckland Cup. So fantastic uh, wall-to-wall entertainment. Stay with us, uh, and we'll get your details, Luke. 11.39 here on SENZ. When we come back, it's uh, Mick Guerin in his usual slot to talk about harness racing. SENZ. It is uh, 11.44 here on SENZ. Time to talk some harness racing now with uh, the man who knows uh, everything that's going on within that industry around the country. Mick Guerin, uh, good morning to you. Mick, racing this weekend and tonight included at Addington, Invercargill and Rangiora. And I see there's a terminating pick six, which should make punters a bit excited about tonight. Yeah, it's always a bit of fun, Smitty. Good morning to you. Big hi to all the SENZ listeners. Um, yeah, terminating pick six at Addington tonight. It's actually a meeting which was going to be on the West Coast, my old stomping ground. They were going to be racing over there, but uh, with the weather not being ideal, they bumped it across to Canterbury, so that's a little bit of a shame. We like to see racing in the smaller areas, but means Addington folk or Christchurch folk can head to Addington tonight, albeit in restricted numbers, the pod system still in play. There's a horse tonight there, Smithy, who's quite interesting and called Laver, named after, of course, Rod Laver, mm. the great tennis player. Mm. Now, the race at Cambridge, for which SENZ has the favourite, self-assured, is taking shape. There's now five spots gone. Two were confirmed yesterday. Laver's one of the horses I think could end up in one of the three remaining spots. There's 10 spots overall. This is the $900,000 slot race on April the 14th. Five are gone, two are as good as gone. I think South Coast Arden, who won last week at Alexandra Park, and Spankin, 
who's run a miracle mile, I think they'll get slots. So I think there's three slots left. And Laver is in quite an easy field tonight at Addington for him. He's a horse who loves to run hard and press on. I think they'll do that tonight. And I wouldn't be surprised if at some stage in the next week if somebody takes him for their horse for their slot in the race. Now, he would be excellent for the race because he runs hard, keeps them true. It'd be a lot of fun to have him in the race. So he's the feature horse for tonight's meeting at Addington because if he wins tonight with only a month until that huge $900,000 race is on, I reckon he might punch his ticket and somebody be taking him next week. So he's the feature horse of the night. A couple more other horses, you know, are as good as in the race, then we'd probably leave us two or three spots, Smithy. Really interesting how that horse trading, how those negotiations go after both Hot and Treacherous and the near Stylish Memphis were confirmed as the latest starters yesterday. Uh, racing at uh, Invercargill too, Mick, over the weekend. On Sunday, uh, Rangiora Grass, and Emma just read an interesting story about uh, the turnover at Hororata the other day. Uh, being uh, $400,000 more than any other trotting meeting uh, anywhere in the country during the week. So people taking uh, to betting to uh, trotters and paces on grass. Yeah, look, they like it for two reasons. If harness racing has an issue when it's on the all-weather tracks at Addington or Alexandra Park. Some people don't quite like the smaller dividends. Some people who are larger punters, and of course you should only bet responsibly and inside your means, but some people who are larger punters are quite happy to have a big bet at $1.60 or $1.70. But those punters who like to bet on the gallops are more used to their winners paying 3 or 4 or $5. Now, the big grass track meetings have horses who generally pay more. There's not many odds-on chances, so punters will gravitate toward them. The other big determinant of turnover is field size. By the time you have a bigger field, there's more horses to back, there's more expense in quinellas, trifectas, trebles, doubles, all the exotics. So field size is crucial, and field size is on the grass, where people think it's probably a little bit easier to win, because heaps of the big stables don't go there, um, tend to be bigger smithy. So it's an anomaly. Um, Tambia people don't like being on the grass, but a lot of the smaller punters do, and that wisdom of crowds will sometimes see those turnovers very high. So it's a crucial, crucial component to what harness racing does in New Zealand. And uh, that's why we're, we're lucky to have it during the summer circuit. Of course, we don't have too much mm. grass track racing during the winter. Uh, look, a lot of people hang on your every word, believe it or not, McGarren, and, and particularly in terms of uh, tips. Dave has just come in and said, can you please ask, Mick, to actually tip a winner following his tips for one placing and a $1.50 Quinella over the last three weeks. Now, I've, of course, been away uh, commentating the Women's World Cup. Mick, I'm not aware of this, but Dave has come in with a request for you. There you go. Well, funny enough, you go in these sort of cycles where some weeks you're really keen to have a dig and other weeks you're not. But I think the one tonight is Labour. I, I, I think they're racing for more than just the stake. And I think he'll work around the field, and I think he'll get the lead, and I think he wins. So I'm, I'm a great believer that not tipping people horses for the sake of tipping, I'll be lucky if I tip three horses a week most weeks because I'm only in it to make money when it comes to actually betting. So for those who want to have a stab and have a bit of fun and, and have a, a big divvy, by all means, have a crack at the bigger odds or have a crack on Sunday or in the car or tomorrow. But for me, for someone who tends to bet probably more to make money, Smithy, and pay for that car... Laver is mm-hmm. a bit of the week. He's at Addington tonight. I think he'll win. I think when we talk this time next week, he'll be in the race. 
And the other unusual aspect to the weekend for them is tomorrow night's the Miracle Mile. So the Miracle Mile was yeah. held last Saturday night, but it was cancelled because there was a cyclone 30 minutes before the race, which flooded the track. They've had to re-top the track at Menangle, take the top off, put it back on again, grade it again, and they go for the second time for the Miracle Mile tomorrow night. Should be won by the former New Zealand pacer, King of Swing. Bred here, started his career here. I think he'll win, and he'll become the first ever three-time winner of the Miracle Mile. Probably a bit late for many of our listeners, but if you are up on a Saturday night after watching some footy or some cricket, 11 o'clock on trackside tomorrow night for that Miracle Mile. And, of course, they can listen to Mick Guerin on here on SENZ over the weekend. Uh, with up-to-date information, you've got, uh, what, a couple of shows, Mick, and of course, uh, don't, let's not forget the Auckland Cup on Sunday afternoon too. Massive, massive meeting at Ellerslie on Sunday, Smithy. It's their last meeting at Ellerslie for 18 months, and it's a ripper. We have two Group 1s. We have the Auckland Cup. Louis Herman, what and I will preview that tomorrow morning on the mail run from 8 o'clock, as well as the Saturday racing, and try and find you some winners. Levante has gone to Flemington. The Matamata Met will talk about her too. It's 8 o'clock tomorrow morning, and Trot's Talk, which is our harness racing show, extended this week but earlier. Catch us from 9 o'clock, myself and Greg O'Connor, 9 o'clock on Sunday morning, then till 10.25, and then SENZ rolls into the cricket. So we have a huge start to the day. Good chance for us to have a longer chat, find you some winners, talk about the race, analyse the Miracle Mile. Nine o'clock on Sunday morning, Smithy, as we then roll into Auckland Cup Day. It is all go. Mick, thanks very much for your time, mate. Thanks very much. Uh, Have a great weekend on the punt. Yeah, cheers, man. All the best. Mick Guerin there with uh, his his take on uh, harness racing, of course, and uh, his shows over the weekend. They are a must-listen. 11.51 here on SENZ. It's Ty Power's Big Footy final sale. To kick things off, you can get the power to buy three and get one free on selected Toyo passenger car and SUV tyres. Ty Power's Big Footy final sale can't last. Visit typower.com.au now.